0: So, the first thing I wanted to do, obviously, is introduce myself. I know I kind of already did that on the email and everything, but just for the podcast purpose. Uh, so, I'm Albert Goxman. I'm the founder of AG Supercars. And uh, AG Supercars is actually a subsidiary of Flatout Investments. That's the main umbrella company. And um, I have Paul Gerard. I'm saying correctly, right?
1: Well, close. It's Paul Gerard.
0: Oh, Gerard. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Who formerly was uh, the state for eight years. Correct, Paul? Yeah. On Top Gear. So, I mean, the more badass than that, I don't think I could have a more badass guest than that.
2: <laughs> Except <laughs>
0: for maybe the crew of, uh, of Top Gear and even those guys were, uh, I wouldn't consider them, you know, uh, I mean, as obviously not even close to as good as a uh, race car driver as you are. So, so yeah, it's an honor. All, they're all good guys and, and uh, for sure happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Um, so let's get down to talking about cars, man. So Paul, the first thing that me and you kind of went back and forth with was the obviously the most uh, legendary, most insane, radical, badass. I think that would pretty much sum it down. The 917, the Porsche 917. Um, yeah. We we were talking about that car, and uh, that's kind of how me and you got uh, in contact with each other. So the whole main thing was that. So you're gonna. This is kind of the back. The backstory to the car um i met a gentleman uh, who's got a pretty awesome uh he kind of does what i do you know i tries to really stick with the, the rarest hyper supercars, and vintage race cars and uh we kind of got talking together because we were trying to sell a different car we were talking about a ferrari 333 sp that was actually available here in florida and um in that conversation all of a sudden, the craziest thing happened. He says, "Hey, by the way, do you want to see something really crazy?" I said, "Yeah, sure. Show me. Show me what you got." And he brings me into his warehouse and he showed me a bunch of awesome cars. He had a brand new, you know, I had a brand new GT3 RS there. This is when they first came out. And he had a couple of vintage Porsches, like a 930 and 930 Turbo. Um, he had an old Alpha. It was a uh, I want to say it was um, I always forget the model of Alpha. It was a super square body Alpha Romero. That was right. Pretty much considered a piece of shit, but it was a cool like looking car. Like a Milano
1: car. or something. Yeah. I think it
0: was a Milano. Yeah, it was something like that. It was, it was a Milano, cool looking car. Yeah. Yeah. Like the cookie. Exactly. <laughs> yes. And um, so then all of a sudden, you know, I say, hey, listen, you know, I have, I have some pretty awesome, uh, I have some pretty amazing buyers uh, on my end. You know, do you have anything special? He says, you know what? I got just the thing. So he presents me the... Uh, the, the car that we're talking about right now, the Porsche 917, an original 1960, it was a, tic, it was a 69 car, and it was a car that won the Ma in 1970. So that was just, I, I couldn't even believe uh, what I was seeing. I just I was like, holy shit, I, I, you have access to this car? He says, yeah. And I said, all right, well, what, uh, what's the price tag on this thing? He says, well, technically, quote unquote, this car is not for sale. But... Everything has its price. And if, you know, if I can give you that price, it would be around, he told me, 25 to 26 million would probably purchase the car.
1: Yeah, that's so, about what I've heard them going for these days, is in the, in the like 22, I think one sold for well, yeah, fairly Steve,
0: recently. Uh, Steve McQueen's, uh, I believe it was Steve McQueen's uh, 917 that was crashed several times on the racetrack. Um, that car, I believe, went for around 21, 21, 22. Uh, I think it was two years ago, two three years. Yeah, ago, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So that was um, that was a pretty interesting thing. So I said, "Well, this is amazing. I mean, this is just uh, levels of of craziness that I can't I can't even comprehend." So I went to work on it. I started trying to find a buyer for the car. And as you know, these things are, <laughs> I mean, it's 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 still a 1969 race car. <laughs> So you know, it wasn't it wasn't the easiest thing to even try to comprehend on how am I even going to locate a buyer for this thing? But I did my best, and um, I was able to talk to two people that were potentials. Very, you know, they they had actually had uh, several ridiculous um, uh, Porsche, um, you know, vintage race cars, and right. uh, they were they were pretty crazy about Can Am as well, just as I am. So that's why I reached out to them, and. Um, it, you know, one of them gave me a pretty valid offer. Unfortunately, it wasn't to the the exact amount that the owner was trying to get out of it. So, you know, we got pretty close. You know, he said he he would be willing to, if I gave him enough proof, you know, that I really had access to this car, um, I, you know, or I, I'll give you a valid offer. And I said, OK, great. So he ended up uh, coming in a little bit shy at 23 million. I said, OK, well, all I can do is give it to the owner and see if he accepts it. <laughs> and, uh, unfortunately he ended up saying, listen, I, I, you know, tell your potential that I very much appreciate it, but unfortunately, you know, this is a very special car. I don't have to tell anybody he, you know, he, he knows that as well, the potential buyer and he knew that it was just, it, it was just one of those things where this is what he was limited to, you know? So, so we ended up not being able to make the sale. But what was great about it was that I, you know, now had access to the car and anybody that, you know would be ever be interested in it um i could bring to the table so so let's talk about a little bit paul i want to hear your end of um you know the history of the 917 obviously you know what 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 made you what was obviously the the thing that grabbed your attention about the car in the first place
1: well for sure um that car to me means a lot uh it, you know it, it's to say it's iconic, you know, that's a word that's that's very much overused these days. Right. But the the 917 definitely deserves that, probably almost more than any other race car, because it really did establish Porsche to be the, the brand that it is today. And, you know, they kind of came from these humble origins, you know, kind of initially building, you know, four-cylinder cars with the Spyder and then kind of working sure. their way up from that. And, of course, the family ties go well, back in the you know the Piauk, uh family and Porsche family were designers for Auto Union, you know back in the pre-war stuff. So the, the you know so so, but Porsche as a brand, um, you know was kind of this little, you know offshoot as it were initially from Volkswagen, using basically a Bol- Volkswagen sourced engine initially, and then Metzger kind of got his mitts on it. The 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 again iconic, uh, engine engineer and designer and designed uh, first uh you know a, a quad cam four cylinder then a flat six cylinder and then they started getting serious right and they went from you know sort of the you know the 904 to the 906 to the 908 to the 910 and then finally Metzger got this edict that they wanted to win Le Mans overall right and so so then he designed the flat 12 right and of course Using a lot of the same, you know, scalability of these boxer engines that he'd been designing all along, uh, but he just built this just monster of an engine, and it had to do the reason he could do it. I, I believe the FIA rules for that year were, um, if you wanted to build a pure race car like Ferrari was doing, you were limited to three liters, but if you wanted to build twenty-five of them, you could build a five-liter engine, and right. so that's where that's where Porsche went with the 917 is like, we'll build 25, and and nobody had done that ever. Right. Uh, you know, not Ferrari, not Maserati, not not anyone. Jag, all the people that have sort of bit all the icons at Le Mans had never built that many of a car, so that's why this kind of weird rule even existed, and no one had ever taken advantage of it, and Porsche said, you know what, we'll build 25 of them. That'll get us an extra two liters of displacement, and we're right. going to build this crazy car. And and so then, bam, you got the 917, and uh, and of course you have to kind of see them you know the steve mcqueen movie le mans if, if right. you know if you're listening to this and you don't understand the significance of this car um you know it, it basically put porsche on the map and you oh, know, yeah. porsche was doing great as a as a manufacturer and i even you know like I, i'm not going to say i'm close personal friends with but i was teammates with Derek bell i'm friends with Derek bell and also wow. I'm, I'm good i'm good friends with vic elford and then you've got you know brian redmond joe sifford uh rodriguez you know you got all these folks that raced 917s back in the day and also came up through the ranks with the the 904 906 908 910s right in the 917s and of course they were racing like at targa florio they were doing all sorts of racing they were racing the sports car championship but they were racing in the lesser um in the lesser uh categories because they had smaller displacement engines so the 917s put them at le mans in the top class running head-to-head against ferrari and you know, building this five-liter engine and Ferrari eventually had to follow and they did the five twelve, which also was a five-liter engine, but it was sort of Porsche's idea to go do this to take advantage of this kind of gap in the rules that allowed them to to build the bigger engine. And and this this five-liter flat V twelve was just this monster. Yeah. And and the chassis, if you've ever seen the chassis on a nine seventeen, it's it's, it's built out of these these little teeny tiny yeah. tubes that yep. make a Maserati birdcage look like it's overbuilt. Uh, and and so when you actually, when you sit in a 917 and you're looking around at the structure of the car, I'm right. a little guy, I'm five foot seven, I'm like considered to be kind of big for a race car driver. Right. Um, and I just barely tuck into that 917. right? And then you're looking around at the structure of the vehicle around you, because you can see all of it, it's before carbon fiber. So we're talking right. about fiberglass body panels, or, you know, hand beaten aluminum bits and pieces. And then this tubular, uh, you know, structure for the chassis. And, and the thing is like, it's so small. I think if you, if you've only ever seen the cars uh, in person, you know, not, you haven't seen them in person, you've only ever seen the pictures or you've seen the movie, when you see a 917 for real, you realize like, like how tiny it is. I mean, it's like, it's small compared it's small. to a Mini Cooper. Exactly. An original Mini, not yep. a new Mini, not a BMW. Yeah. <laughs> like the original, the original Mini, Mini Cooper, like, yeah. The 917 Which is tiny. It looks small. Yeah, compared yeah. to, like it's sitting next to that. So it, it's really this amazing car. And then to think right behind you is this it's V12 a, engine right, putting correct. out, V12, sorry, flat 12 engine putting out over 500 horsepower. Yeah. And so to summarize the craziness of the 917, <laughs> You have to look at the World Sports Car Championship. And I can't remember the year, whether it was 69 or 70. So excuse me for not getting the year right. But Formula we'll excuse One. excuse
0: you, Paul. You're you, you yeah. are excused. You're more than excused. I appreciate that. <laughs> Formula One at Spa. So
1: the racetrack right. Spa. Formula, so, so they raced sports cars there. They also raced Formula One cars there. Right. This, that same year that the, the 917 was introduced, it was six seconds a lap faster than the formula one (laughs) cars were and that's a ridiculous
0: i mean that's like that's That's all you
1: need to know about how (laughs) revolutionary that car was was, where it was actually significantly faster than the equivalent formula one car that same year And, and so that that's that car and of course it wasn't designed to do uh you know a 200 mile formula one race it was designed to do a 24-hour endurance race and and so that's like it's a whole other level and you think about that Metzger engine the engineering that went into that whole car the whole drivetrain that that whole vehicle that it was supposed to just run a 24-hour race but it's it's capable of running speeds significantly faster than the Formula One cars of of its same era So, so so that that shows you how special that car was and I and I remember talking to Vic Elford who was the master at the Targa Florio, and he was the first guy to ever try and drive a 917 around the Targa Florio. Now, if you're not familiar with that race, the Targa Florio, I believe, was 47 or 49 miles, and it's in Sicily, and it goes through Palermo, and it's just mountain roads and through cities. So the equivalent today would be the Isle of Man TT.
2: Right, exactly. A
1: motorcycle race. It's kind exactly. of like the Isle of Man, um, but it was in the Sicilian mountains, and, um, you know, an Isle of Man happens to be, as we're recording this podcast, it's going on this week. Um, oh, really? So, yeah. So, oh, yeah, catch that's it awesome. on Velocity. Yeah, set it okay. up on, get it recording.
2: Okay. Not Velocity. much
1: has happened so far. They've only had one day of racing. Unfortunately, they'd had one one fatality on their very first race because it's, wow. it's a pretty, but that's anyway, so, so, but that's what Targa Florio was like. And they were doing this in, in the late 60s and into the, the 70s. And and Vic was the first guy to take a 917 and round the Targa Florio course. And the 917, again, it was really fast, but it was also notoriously skittish initially. Right. They Correct. didn't have the aerodynamics really figured out. So the car had, you know, this is a car not on the Targa Florio course, but at Le Mans right. doing 240 miles an hour down the Mulsanne. And, and so at high speeds, the rear end got a little unstable and a lot of drivers came back, you know, like you know just ashen face saying it's (laughs) undrivable. a lot of people said it's undrivable. so he took it out on targa florio and he was like put me back in the 908 and he ended up winning that year in the 908 because because the 917 was just just basically too much of a car for targa florio and it really wasn't built for that in the first place they just wanted to try that flat 12 there (laughs) and see what happened but it was just a monster right i mean that's really what what we're talking about yeah. It was faster than an F1 car. It was too fast for the Targa Florio. It scared the heck out of its drivers initially, um, and and you know what it did do though. It didn't win its first year. They had retirements and crashes at, in '69, and then as you were suggesting with the car that you were brokering, right. um, that it did win the very next year and and put Porsche on the map as not just a builder of of good quick little little cars with four cylinder engines or six cylinder engines, but capable of, of taking the fight to and beating Anything. Ferrari. Anything. Yeah. And, and that's, that's obviously what they did. And again, that, that fantastic movie, right. uh, Steve Come McQueen's on. basic, uh, you know, the movie that almost bankrupt him and his yep. studio and that's stories right. that went along with that. So, so just, just a, a magical car. And I think, I think Steve McQueen realized like, you know, it's, it's worth the effort. And that's why this car now has this, this, amazing i would say it's it's a cult following
2: correct though
1: like cult followings are like a following that that kind of goes beyond the reality but this car's reality is every bit as amazing uh and and they didn't build a lot of them and there's also these kind of crazy stories uh i was lucky enough i had a friend a very close friend that worked um, at the Canopa shop in Scotts Valley. Okay. So awesome. Bruce Canapa has several 917s. Right. Uh, he's he's a guy with impeccable car taste. If you ever get a chance to go to Scotts Valley and and uh, and walk around his museum-like shop, it it's is ridiculous. Just mind, I know. It's mind-bending. I know. Because he's, uh, he
0: he's got a 250 he's got cool. a 250LM there. I know. I know.
1: Yeah. Well, he's got he's got everything. <laughs> he, he even has dune buggies. Right. He has vintage dragsters he has hot rods and then he has the most so he has this eclectic super eclectic taste but it's impeccable taste like whatever he has
2: right will it's, be it's, it's, it's like that
1: significant one the right. dune buggy he has is porsche powered you know and it's really cool it was right we have ran ran baja with a with a flat six so you know what he is has it, these,
0: a, a flat six from from the 90s from the 80s no, it, month, it's from okay.
1: the eighties. Yeah, okay. And it's really, really, it's really a cool card. It has this whole amazing history behind it that I I couldn't even begin to do justice to. I um, <laughs> just remember like bits and pieces of it. But but let's right. like everything in Bruce's shop has this like our story that goes with it. You know, right? Exactly. And, and so the nine seventeen is probably the, like the central component out of all of the amazing stuff that he does because right. because he sort of became the de facto um, restorer in the U.S. of, of the 917 because, because there were so few made, and of course they're also very fragile. We're talking about right. cars made, you know, decades and decades ago. Right. But you could imagine, like, the parts, like if you want pistons, connecting rods, yeah, cylinder Oh, It all has about, to be custom-made. valve springs, yeah. yeah and so actually, every part in the world for those cars, as, as far as all the experts know they're they're all accounted for and they're right. all kind of living in a couple different locations like there was this flasik pollock who is this um polish uh entrepreneur that lived in california and he ended up buying a lot uh of the 917s because the thing about race cars like we talk about them now and they're so revered like right. and they're worth tens of millions of dollars you know right, they're like, like a, a rejected bill for 23 million dollars right case right. in point for one car right. and but you got to realize, like, a race car, oh, a the year, year after it's not competitive, yeah. Yeah, you could just you could walk <laughs> up were... and they're like, make me an offer. And exactly. Just <laughs> cars away. But, you know, they were dying so, to so give this, them away. This, yeah, there's nothing with less value than a the year-old uncompetitive race car. And, and right. no, one, no one has the crystal ball to look into the future and go, you know what? In 40, 50 years, this thing yeah, will be priceless. For, right. Yeah. So, so, you know, we all want the time machine to go back and buy all these cars, Right. Right, and that's for sure. And so so like the, the sort of the chain of events that, that kind of led to, you know, the classic Pollock buying all of the parts. And now those parts ended up getting bought and they're back with a, uh, a company in Germany uh, that, that owns all those bits and pieces now. But I was lucky enough when I was at Canapa that they were rebuilding an engine in the shop. And so there was well, a gentleman there by, by the name of Mr. Nietzsche. And I remember that because of the philosopher, <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, he's a lovely guy. And I went and had dinner with him and my friend. We went out and had dinner that night and, and we just chatted all night. And he was telling me all these stories about 917 parts. Right. And so he personally knows of all of the 917s in the world and he personally works on them. So wow. they actually all come through one guy and he is like 82
0: years old. Holy shit. So every single, every single 917 that's being serviced or being anything that's going through him uh, strictly. He has his hands on it,
1: on some way, shape, or form. And, and the thing that's amazing is you're thinking like how important these cars are, and he's not a young man anymore. Right. And, so, and so at dinner, I was like, I've got to bring that up. Of course. <laughs> and, and so, and so like I was like, out of deepest respect <laughs> – I'm just curious what happens when you're gone. To right, the cars? exactly. And he goes, oh, 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 don't worry. I have an apprentice. And I was like, Oh, that's okay. fantastic. That's good. And he's like, He's 62. And I went, oh No. My...
0: <laughs> oh. So he's only going to last about 30, 40 years, too. Yeah. Shit. So the, when, you,
1: when you see a 917, you need to consider all of Everything. that. Everything. Like how special this car is at, right. on every level. Like a, a component, like if you're thinking of like a shim, because they use shims to set the valves on the cars. Right. You know, you think about like all of these components, and you think about like every time one of these gets crashed or one of them gets overripped,
0: or scratched, you know,
1: like what, what, what is the, the, the shockwave, the ripple effect around right. the world for like that, that very limited supply? And so they are starting to redo, reproduce bits and pieces of 917s right. as they as they sort of expire because a lot of the cars are made of magnesium you know exactly. bits and pieces of the cars and magnesium has a very limited uh, shelf life compared to aluminum or stainless steel or titanium I didn't, um, so
0: i didn't know that uh, i thought so magnesium what what what's the it shelf basically, life of magnesium
1: it 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 kind of depends on the conditions that it that right. it's kept under but basically it, it sort of just falls to dust over time. It it corrodes and deteriorates to the point that you you can't use it anymore.
2: Oh shit. Uh, I didn't know that. So you get to get like magnesium I
1: wheels. That. I know this from Ducati motorcycles and things which I have like an old Ducati. Right. Uh, and and you know so magnesium components, magnesium cases they use triple clamps. There's there's just you know bits and pieces that were cast in magnesium back in the day. Uh magnesium wheels were very, very common hubs. Uh, magnesium was like the go-to exotic material yeah. like one one step up from aluminum because right. no one no one could really work with titanium very well um then and carbon right. fiber wasn't around so right so you find a lot of these old race cars were magnesium and people can recast magnesium now but that's what you have to do is if you want to keep the car authentic you go and you have to you know recast uh, an engine block a cylinder head or what have you in magnesium right. so so that's all of these uh this sort of this ecosystem and and what in England, they would call a cottage industry uh, on supporting these cars. And, and this is just a 917 story, but you can go and you can say the same story about a, you know, a, a Testarossa Ferrari or, or what have you, you know, like any of these oh, I mean, like an old original 250 TR, right? Not a right. AE testarosa you know so, so any any of these older vintage cars kind of are, are, are falling into this and and of course now it, it's it's kind of interesting because you got like this graph of the value of the car and it's almost shooting up and then and then of course things that like 10 years ago like oh no way we would ever go to any sort of lengths to actually cast these new pieces or whatever <laughs> the cars aren't worth it but then and the value doing of the that. car I, and right. At some point, there's a crossover and they're like, oh, now it's worth it. Exactly. And so and you can see that, you know, again, you can go back and you can look at things uh, like, uh, you know, even like a black shadow, uh, you know, motorcycle or even the brow superior. So you can, you can look in any of the vintage world or think of like old Bugatti cars, um, right. old Maseratis or any of these cars, auto unions, um, Mercedes Benz, you know, any, of, any of the, any of those vehicles, they, they've re- that, that crossover point where the car now exceeds so much value that all of a sudden they're like, now we can win anything, anything right. for that car. I'll, I'll give you like the ultimate, the ultimate version of that. That's not even cars or motorcycles, but, um, world war two aircraft. Oh, so yeah. if you think about like, um, a supermarine spitfire. Right. Uh, like they, you're allowed to now, if you, you can just go dig out of a swamp. Like there's all these stories in World War II, uh, back in the day from farmers or what have you, people that right. witnessed a plane crashing. And usually that plane is sat in the mud under 30 feet of mud or in a, in a lake or, and they right. pull the thing out. There's, there's nothing left of it, but what they're looking for is just the chassis plate, the number the serial number in the car say VIN, the VIN plate. Right. If you can get that, you're allowed to, because you think of like, you know, FAA and all that stuff, like, well, we don't want you taking this rotten plane and trying to put it back in the sky.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That'd be VIN a bad plate. idea.
1: You can take the VIN plate and you can officially say that's this airplane. As long as you have the VIN plate, the original VIN plate on the aircraft.
0: Wow. And right. so...
1: Everything else, every other component can be remanufactured.
0: Manufactured. Wow. That's amazing. There was
1: actually a story, this crazy story about an auto union where one guy had the VIN plate and the other guy had the car and the car was actually in Russia. A bunch of auto unions ended up in Russia. Ended up in Russia, yeah. That were war reparations after World War II. So when we were splitting up Germany between the allied forces, of course, Russia was on our side back then. Right. Uh, in world war ii so the russians as war reparations took a bunch of auto unions to russia and so there was there there were a bunch of these it's a, it's a fascinating story by the way where you can go do research on this um but these auto unions sat in russia and and so so they kind of both showed up at an auction at the same time or within a very close period and they both had the same number <laughs> because one was so, rebuilt off the vent plate and one right. was a one one was act, the actual car that had been in Russia. I'm, I may be mixing those facts up just a tiny bit, but you get the idea. Right. Um, that's, that's what, you know, to get back to the 917, that is the crazy world. Um, and, and in, you know, y- you personally, like you're dealing with these, the, the, the uber wealthy that sort of right. make all this happen. Right. You know, because, because they're the ones that are going, yeah, I'll pay 20 some million dollars for a 917. So right. some guy's got a chassis plate from a wreck 917. And he's like, all of a sudden, he's like, holy <laughs> cow, he looks This is at worth it some goes, money. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: yeah. It, w- it was just something I kept in my desk drawer as a souvenir. Exactly. But now I'm going to build a car around it because I could build a car for 10 or 15 million dollars and yet I could sell it for 20 some million dollars. And that of you know, that's, that's a once in a lifetime opportunity, you know, and, yeah, well, and the same thing happens with aircraft. The same thing happens with motorcycles. Uh, you know, with Vincent Motorcycles or Brown Motorcycles that have huge, huge value now. And uh, and that's the world we live in. You know,
0: there's a um, Ev, uh, there's so much information, Paul. It just came, Amazing. You could fit any half of what you just said in your brain. But I totally understand man. it's the same thing here. It's a, you try to get, you know, passion is what drives uh, the brain. You know what I'm saying? In in every in all aspects of life. <laughs> and then
1: and then money drives the industry.
0: It's <laughs> <and Yeah>. demand.
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> put those oh. two things together and that's the world we live in
0: that's right yeah no. what um what I was gonna say was that's amazing the story about the auto unions I know that there was um, man I you know I, I wanted to be better prepared for the spot that I knew that all the information I was gonna try to cram into my brain before I spoke to you but there was an auto you just because you brought it up uh, there was an auto union that got sold I believe it was um, Man, it was one, I to I don't want to say it's chassis one, because I'm probably going to get misquoted. But I believe it was one of the earlier chassis, one through, I think it was, let's just say it was one through seven or one through ten. And that one went up for auction. I think it went up for auction, and it went for a little bit above 30 I think that was the price on the car. And this was five, six years ago. I think it was at the Auto Geneva Convention Center. They introduced it there. And then they were going to take it to either RM or Sotheby. I don't think it was going to be Sotheby. It was going to be yeah. either RM. I don't even remember the car. And the car was immaculate. It looked like it was back in nineteen, you know, nineteen forty something when the car was built. Um, but the 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 stories that you tell me about the airplanes, the uh, the Spitfires, and the fact that you could um, you could just literally get the plane. Where would even someone go? I mean, how how massive do the CNC machines that would have to be literally made just for certain parts of that aircraft?
1: They, they're not they're not CNCing them. They're they're hand building them. Like there's a there's a, actually a few different again cottage industry. Right. This stuff usually exists in the UK. Funny enough, like even restoring Messerschmitts because the the UK is England is a little bit unique um, right. in in that sort of. And I think this has to do it has a lot to do with like all the Formula One teams, you know, with the exception of like Sauber and Ferrari are based Sauber, in yeah. England. So even even Mercedes, is based in England. Uh, right. The the Formula One team because right. England has it's it, it's it's a small country and it's very densely packed with crazy level of of engineering and machining. Like I I've, I've worked personally with Lola. Um, wow, that's and, a, awesome. and with even with like gearbox manufacturers like Hewland and X-Track and just all the racing that I've done uh, over, over my life. And I was responsible for building a, a, a bespoke carbon formula car for the Jim Russell Racing Driver School, okay. which is a really cool experience. So I worked directly yeah. with Lola on that. But you realize like, like no joke, like within a stone's throw of anything in England is mm-hmm. everything in England. Oh, and, yeah. And so they, they have this ability to kind of reproduce anything you want like you think right. about like the, the the panel shaping um for for aluminum or in england my dad would correct me and say aluminium you aluminium. mean and like, yes, dad. <laughs> yes and uh I, I was actually born in england but i grew up in the u.s so, so i, I gives, heard
0: i heard on that yeah i was just gonna I was gonna me a hard time it. about that
2: <laughs> so
1: um but but you know like the, the the body shaping is done on a piece of manual machinery called an English wow. wheels. <laughs> so it's you know? like a, it's and like so a it's,
0: manual, like a mandrel, like a mandrel yeah. bending machine, but for, yeah, well, they just roll bending. it
1: back and forth between these two wheels. And these two wheels have like have spring loaded pressure between them. And, and as you roll, uh, aluminum, but in the, in the, between the wheels, right. you can keep rolling it back and forth and you can shape it into a fender or exactly. any other shape that you want. So it's part of, you know, like you do the hand, uh, you know, hand paneling over a wooden buck, Right. But but all of that kind of stuff is is like how a Spitfire was built too, right? You know, yeah. Where the it, they had and, and that was actually one of the very first um, metal aircraft that only had it only had cloth in the tail section. The rest of the Spitfire was all aluminium, was all uh, including the spars and all of that stuff. So, and so so that you, you can rebuild all of that stuff. There really isn't any CNC because that wouldn't be authentic, right? Um, and and they they build that plane to the same level just. Just like a Concorde winning automobile, like if you're gonna have remanufactured bits and pieces, you you can't modernize it even to make it better. right it, it has it has to be the only exceptions that that you're allowed, and they and they probably even will score you down on a Concorde for this, but but it's safety stuff, like the fuel lines, you know things like that. You're like, well, the fuel lines were terrible, and these cars used to catch on fire all the time. Do you mean my car is going to catch on fire, <laughs> or can I put can I put a better fuel line in it? Right. And they'll You're allowed to put a better fuel line in it, but it better from the outside look exactly like the original fuel line. Wow.
0: See that. So that so that, that I think is
1: They gave it's, you. you
0: know? It's. I mean, I understand why they do that, but I think that's a bit overkill. It's like who? But I understand when when it's a concourse car, yeah. it has to be a yeah. you know, pebble but beach. You, I, yeah.
1: That's why unrestored cars are so valuable because right. they're like, oh, it didn't catch on fire exactly. and no one's changed the fuel line. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's a really That's rare old. car you know, right. or, or the spoke wheels or, you know, or the magnesium just, you know, r- randomly breaks. Like I've had magnesium wheels break on me when I've been racing, you know, so. Are you serious? You know, but so, what? Yeah, absolutely. What
0: I what are we talking about what were we 10 15 years I mean what how short how, I didn't know well, it was that short changed I I well mag, magnesium magnesium you know
1: it has it's it's very light but it also it's, very light. It, it's fatiguing you know sort of qualities compared to again these days you would you would use a forged aluminum or you'd go right. titanium of course right. you'd go carbon fiber so it, you know
0: the, well, it's you susceptible know, to heat back then right? they're
1: underbuilding think of like Colin Chapman and um, you know, his whole adding lightness thing. So he's he's casting things out of magnesium and then making them a lot smaller than they probably ought to have been, you know. Right. And, and, and and that's what, But you know, if you want to build a vintage Lotus, you've got to use all of Colin's bits and pieces. Right. And, and we know those things crashed and, and hurt and killed a, a lot of drivers a lot back of in the day. Right. And, and when they weren't doing that, they were winning championships with those cars, which made them, also iconic cars in you know in sort of the vintage world and, and and for good reason. But those those you know those are all the things you have to balance. And it's almost like, you know, if you went back in the day, um, you know, no one thought of those cars necessarily a, as being um, right. you know, a, a real safety hazard. They were, they were built to be as light and as safe as possible, just like a right. current car. They just didn't have the knowledge, the computer aided design, the materials that we're able to work with today. And now we can, you know, we we kind of you can look into the like they can they can life apart now. If you think of like a Formula One team building apart, they know exactly how long it's gonna last.
2: Yeah. Exactly because
1: there's that much R and D effort Evolve. and knowledge to go into that. And a computer right. will will no joke spit out a lifespan for that right. part. Like right. you need to yeah. replace that bolt this amount of time because right. it's under this sort of sheer tension compression force. And we made it out of this material. And it will last exactly this long.
0: Right. Yeah. Compute. They didn't I know mean,
1: that then. It was all done by by guys like, you know, that gentleman I mentioned who, you know, who was working at Porsche back in the day on the 917s. It was just his knowledge passed on to his apprentices. You know, like it was accumulated knowledge from racing auto unions in 1938 and 39. Right. Th- that same knowledge was helping them build 917s in 1969. Exactly. You know. It, it it that's and that's where everyone would say, oh, that was sort of a black art. When it was a black art, it meant it wasn't really written down. It was passed down
2: right. from, from generation to
1: engineer from mechanic right. to mechanic. Right. But that knowledge still moved, and it still grew, and that database got deeper, and they got smarter, and they built faster and faster cars as a result of it.
0: Correct. Yeah, I mean, I, I you mentioned so many things. So the you know one of the things that that really surprised me um, going back to the nine seventeen. Um, one of the things that, and I, by the way, I sent you an email with a, a, a PDF professionally that I had gotten from the owner just to, you know, so you could have it. I was going to have you go through it just so you could see the picture of the actual car that we're talking about. Um, the actual car that we're talking about, by the way, uh, Paul, it's chassis four. Um, okay. Yeah, it's chassis 004. And, and there's a picture there of what, what you kind of, you know, went back to earlier was the, the sitting arrangement and the fact of how small that car was yeah um and one of the things that I, I i mean one of you know one of the things that we first talked about before we even going on the podcast was that you know i think and this is one of the things i really wanted to talk to you about was where racing how racing like what we're talking about right now i mean you just put it in plain english you know you're talking about that this was firstly i mean these cars were only being produced by people that had the optimal experience that were there building the car and knew the exact lifespan of the metals or knew how long or, or what type of materials that we're gonna actually be putting, you know, to build this entire ridiculous, insane rocket ship on wheels. And one other thing that I, one of the things that I think that we've lost um, in racing, you tell me if I'm wrong, but I've gone to plenty of racetrack days. I've, I've been, you know, I've spoken to many different people, race car drivers and, you know, team owners. And something that I think is missing, um, I mean, I, I hate to put it this way, but in my, in my view, it just, it, I, I would look at it as a castration of, of racing. Because it's like a lot of, a lot of things about racing that, used to, that you literally needed a certain amount of courage even to get into these cars just because of the safety factor, the safety technology that just was not there. I mean, I'm looking at the picture right now. And it's literally a four point harness that maybe you'd put on a streetcar with a couple hundred horsepower, six, seven, eight hundred horsepower, and you'd feel pretty safe in. This was a car that weighed, I believe the 917 weighed 1,400, 1,300, I think, uh, wet, 1,300 pounds. And it had the, um, it had like what we talked about, 500 something plus horsepower. So if you compare that to horsepower per ton, to let's say the Bugatti Chiron, LaFerrari, the 918, the P1, it's not even in the same realm. You'd have to bring in the Ariel Atom and and bring in that V8 Aerial Atom, which was I think had uh, it was a thousand. Uh, no, cars. and
1: I've I've driven those. The, the The problem with what you're saying right now is you're comparing road cars to a race car.
0: Oh no, of so, course I'm not. Yeah I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just saying that even even race car wise, is that the essence of. I don't know, man. It's 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 very strange. I've I've gone to the racetrack and and going back to what we what what we were going to start talking about, which was Can Am. So, you know, one of the reasons that I think Can Am was the the peak of manufacturers, race car drivers, racing technology, minus the safety technology because there wasn't any there. But um, most of the safety technology that they had back then, and and the racetracks was that. It was, it was, Hey, listen, you bring the best team, you bring the best car, you bring the best engineers, you bring the best driver, you give me the best race track, and we will show you the fastest times possible in this amazing, in these amazing machines that were built at that time. Um, a lot of what's going on now is that like, let's say for, for example, what's going on in formula one. So I haven't watched a formula one race in nine years. And I'll tell you why it's just the fact that, I mean, first of all, I, I missed the screaming V10s, that those things were just, I mean, when you wanted to go see a Formula One race car, that was that was what you were going for. That was one of the aspects that you were just waiting to, you know, have a fly by that thing. Your ears just bleed. And, you know, and just, it, it, it just, I mean, you hear, you, you feel your, when when you're next to a Formula One car, when that thing is just on idle, you feel the insides of your body just shaking. And I think that's what motorsport is supposed to be about. It's not supposed to be this, this tamed, this, this safety. Everybody, keep to, everybody keeps on talking about how safe things have to be. And it's like, no, 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 no. I, obviously, I, I agree that we don't want race car drivers like you and, and other race car drivers that are out there getting severely hurt. That was one of the problems that happened in Can-Am where you had all these deaths, especially at Spa, um, because of the, the straightaway. And that's when they, you know, they finally decided the rules and regulations said that they had to put the kink in the in the straightaway, and then yeah, you meant you
1: meant, cars- meant Lamar. You said Spa, but I get it.
0: Oh well, but but at Spa, at Spa there was a uh, remember there was a uh, straightaway. What was the the famous? I think it was Spa. It's the um- well, Spa.
1: Spa. They did change the course. Yeah, you're yeah. you're right. So yeah, yeah. They, they and, had the one that ran through the villages and all that stuff, the longer version, yeah.
0: Correct. So. And that longer version, that's when these cars, I, I believe that 917, was one of the first cars in the world that did 250, I think it was 248. That was that was, that was Mans that it was doing that. It so was Spa had
1: already okay. Yeah, Spa had already been, been changed uh, basically at, the, at that point, I believe. But okay. I, to, to, your, to your point, um, so I guess there's a couple of different ways to look at it. First of all, it's like if they knew then what we know now— would they have still built the cars the same way? And you'd have right. to answer, of course not. They would have built the cars of today because, because this is what's logical to build. So I get the, the what you're talking about is like it's a bit of a romanticized view of motorsports. And, and I'll tell you, like, you know, knowing, knowing Derek Bell, I was teammates with him. We were both driving on the same uh, factory racing team for, for Volvo in the, right. in the early 2000s. And he's a great guy. And, and I got to know him very well. And I happened to be at his house one day, and you know, as you can imagine, he kind of He's he's such a, a legendary driver. He gets right. people sending him random things in the mail all the time. Right. And and the day I was at his house, someone sent him a book, a new book, that was about Formula One in his era. And the opening picture in the book, and I can't remember the name, mm-hmm. but the opening picture of the book was how they take that year, the early in the year photograph. Right. Of, of all the drivers lined up, they're sitting on the straightaway of the racetrack. They're the front rows in chairs, right. and the back rows like standing up behind them. And he looks at the photo, and he starts scanning his finger across all the faces in the top and the bottom row. Mm-hmm. And he said, "You know, right now, there's only two of us that are still alive."
0: Ah, wow. yeah, they're all dead.
1: And and he he kind of like he teared up, man. Yeah. So so we look back and we're like wow that's when racing was racing. Right. But the thing you've got to remember is is this stuff. Like so we're talking about all auto unions in 38 39. In 1939 Germany invades Poland. Okay? World War 2 starts. Right. Auto unions Mercedes stop racing. They don't come over and win the Vanderbilt Cup in New York, which they'd right. done like the year before that it stops and we got world war two and we've got, you know, Hey, we were taught about spitfires and Mustangs and Messerschmitts and fucking right. and and Lancasters. And, and, and we had, we had, and we had all these young guys, 17, 18, 19 years old That's going more off more. Into, That's a, right. as infantrymen or flying aircraft. And, and millions of them don't come back. Right. Uh, and this, this is a true world war where it's operating in the Pacific theater. It's operating on an Eastern front in Europe. We've got a Western front in Europe, like, it, it's it's wholesale slaughter of of young men yeah right
2: that's okay
1: right. so it ends in 45 drop the bomb hiroshima nagasaki the war's over right a few years later a few it doesn't take long racing kicks up again and who's who are all the drivers they're a oh. bunch of pilots they're a bunch right. of people that are used to this ridiculous level of risk as a matter right. of fact if you think like ptsd and you think about modern soldiers coming back from iraq and more mm-hmm. of them die in road crashes and on motorcycles every year when they come back than they do when they're deployed because they tend to ride the bikes and they drive in a way they're like seeking the thrill of combat
0: right that's great okay.
1: so that's that's kind of part of all of this and so motor racing kicks back up and these guys are out driving cars and are they thinking much about safety no, no. they think <laughs> this
0: is they, this is awesome about
1: it, they're like this is way safer than than the war right. i was exactly
0: just in. right this and is this so, is yeah. a walk in the park for them
1: a few guys are dying i, I get it but it, but it's not nearly you know watching my buddies drop left and right Is you know hey right now actually is the 75th anniversary of of d-day right just, so not only is it isle of man it's a Pretty, you know, we can we can link a lot of things to our conversation here. Right. But but they're they're doing D Day reenactments. I was just reading how the uh, Army Rangers are are climbing up Omaha Beach, right? Holy like that's shit. what they did this morning. That's they did it this morning in a reenactment.
0: That's amazing.
1: Uh, and so and so that's that was their mentality coming back from war. Those lucky ones that survived. Right. And they were looking for cool stuff to do, you know. And they're kind of like looking for that. Yeah. Yeah,
0: f- filling I mean, that gap of, of as, you as know, horrific
1: as it is, is a bit of a drug, right? It's right. it's it for any thrill seeker. Oh, yeah. And so so, that so they come, they're coming back and they're going racing. Right. And 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 so that's kind of the mentality that's transitioning into motorsports all over the world. Is this I'm not gonna say it's like laissez-faire, like I don't care about safety, but right. again, they're they're building the cars as safe as they knew it. But they were just flying spitfires and, and mustangs over the english channel doing escort missions right. you know into germany dodging flak and again watching their buddies randomly just get killed yeah. so so motorsports in the day looked pretty safe right and so we look at it none of us have been, been to battle you know we're we're too young uh, there hasn't been a major major war um, you know and so we're we look at safety through a completely like a secondary different, third yeah it's exactly. it's not fair to judge them and their safety standards because they were building what they thought were safe, as safe right. as they could build them. But when you know, but also I want to win races with the thing. They were right. trying to strike that balance, just like today. Right. And just like today, they did. You know, again, if they had the technology to know what magnesium and carbon fiber and titanium would do for their race cars, they would have done it. Yeah, you know, they but they didn't. They were doing the best with what they had. They were doing the best with what they had with safety, and and there was this little bit of an attitude, and and it took Jackie Stewart actually to really
0: see. There you change, go. That's, change that's that's what I'm talking about. See, that's what I'm yeah. talking about. Jackie Stewart. I mean, that's one of one of the one of the, the famous at that time.
1: Right. When he drove the SLR, time.
0: when when he drove the original SLR, that I mean that that was. I mean he described it I, I watched a whole bunch of videos and interviews when they talked to him about winning at um uh what was the the race in Europe it was the man I'm like getting blocks in my head here um, it was the um it was a race that goes it's I think it's 20 something miles it goes up a mountain it goes down through the Swiss Alps I think and it comes all way back down to Italy
1: oh, I wow. think you're thinking of the Mille Miglia
0: Yeah the Mille Miglia there we go okay Yeah yeah so, so the,
1: yeah, the millio was was uh, before his day, and Sterling Moss was the person. You know, the, Sterling the Moss, British I'm driver. sorry, that's but what it he was, drove. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was Sterling Moss, and with Dennis Jenkinson, who was the famous photographer that was his co-driver when they set the record in the SLR. Correct. And, but, right. but Jackie, and so it's so there there were you know incremental improvements in safety, but a, a lot of it had to do with sort of the the budgets of motorsports back in the day. So there wasn't any sort of organization for safety and there wasn't any budget like spa didn't have a budget to run guardrail around the track right, exactly so, so none of that stuff really existed and it took jackie sort of raising his hand in the late 60s and early 70s going this is not acceptable and he organized the drivers to the point where they could boycott races that created the That's leverage what, right that forced that forced the changes and jackie was like you know he was talking about him at Spa, speaking of the old spa, he had a crash where he could have bled to death if it weren't for the good graces of the people that just happened to be standing as spectators next to him and saved his life Um, because there was no medical, no ambulances nearby to come and help him. So it was that kind of perfect storm. And again, talking about sort of that swashbuckling attitude of the drivers fresh back from World War II, they didn't like Jackie saying this stuff because he was like, they were like, you're hurting our image. You know, right. we're, we, we're supposed to be the modern day in their era fighter pilots. You exactly. know, we don't care about safety. We're, we drive 200 mile an hour cars on public roads. That's right. our thing. That's what right. we do. <laughs>
2: um,
1: and yeah, it's, it's got a short life expectancy, but it, the thrill is amazing and it's worth it, you know? Right. So, so, so you so Jackie was sort of battling that mentality and it, it took a long time and I'll admit it, you know, cause I was, I was only really, you know, I was born in 65, so I'm pretty old, but, um, but I was I really young. You were-
0: I thought you were younger. I thought
1: you were, like, in your 50s. Uh, yeah, I was, well, I am, I'm 54. Okay, 54, so, there we go. Yeah. So, um, so so, I was born in 65, so I was, I was five years old, but I was already a fan of the sport, so I, I remember right. things from back then. Oh, no, yeah. I
0: think <laughs> yeah. we all do. So,
1: and, and so so I see, um, you know, I, I saw that, and I didn't really like Jackie initially, though so now I, I admire everything he's done, and I got to right. work with him with board uh, actually ironically maybe not ironically but i in russia uh, i worked with jackie stewart when ford first went to russia in like 1997 and he's Holy an amazing shit. guy you nothing, got to work nothing... with
0: jackie stewart dude that's yeah. Awesome. He, had, he
1: and i actually went head to head on an autocross course that i set up
0: <laughs> no way what like in the parking lot or something right yeah, before you guys it, took... <laughs> yeah in,
1: in 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 the parking lot of the the university of <laughs> moscow that's even wow. better right
0: that's so, awesome
1: yeah so that's so, so cool. he's and he was like super competitive, and, and he's fast. And the guy's butter smooth, and he's fast. Right. It, it was really really impressive. So so the, you know the, these what are cars.
0: Like, what what cars were? They? Just a bunch of it?
1: Fords. Just a bunch of Fords. I think it was a Ford Puma. They never wow. sold here, but it's a cool yeah, little front a, wheel drive Ford. Russian. So so that's what kind of you know, and it goes goes through. You know, safety finally takes a foothold with Jackie because he organizes the drivers, right? So right. so that was that was the the game changer for track safety was the drivers actually getting organized and having leverage and and forcing it and then and then that you know if you think about all of that then that created the commercial side of motorsports because all of a sudden the tracks had to think about like how are we going to raise money to do these improvements because we want this race and so so motorsports slowly became commercialized through the 70s because the costs of of running a race uh, and, and also, of course, the team costs too, because the technology is going lockstep uh, along with the tires, which really drive all the technology in a race car. It's like how, how much grip the tire has. All of a sudden you have to update your race car. And right. that, that pushes things forward. So the tire is the driver of technology in the cars, uh, just like it is on, in MotoGP or what have you. Right. Uh, people usually think it's the other way around, but it's not. And then it's the cost of actually running the race because now i got to run guardrail around Spa. right? right. And that's really expensive. So and I've got to have medical teams everywhere because it's a big track and that's expensive and, and so right. on and so forth. So so that's how you get that exponential cost. And then and then motorsports suddenly requires sponsorship to even operate. Right. And so that gets to your point about the commercialization of racing. When you said I haven't watched an F1 race in nine years, it, it, it's it's Jackie's fault. That's my point.
0: <laughs> well, I wouldn't. Well, I wouldn't. I mean, I I know what you're saying. And, and I I'm look, I'm glad that he did what he did for for bringing safety to, to basically the technology to what we have today with the Hans device and all the carbon. I mean, every yeah. single thing you could think of, helmets, you know, um, the fire The death of Dale
1: Earnhardt, right? Right. The death of Dale Earnhardt, Hans device.
0: Exactly. So yep. I'm, not, I'm not against. Th- this is what I'm saying. And this is what I really wanted to ask you that the, the solid question is. If we are so safe now, right, where you could literally crash most race cars today at 200 miles per hour at literally maybe 30, 40, sometimes even, I mean, dead on impact, you know, straight through that 30 degrees, maybe 45 degrees. But I'm just saying as close to as as a straight line as you could think of into a wall and literally leave the car with maybe a headache. I mean, shouldn't we shouldn't shouldn't. Okay, this is what I'm saying. Shouldn't shouldn't everything be going faster shouldn't all the cars be going faster and they are you know mechanically they had to bring i mean look what they had to do with formula one they had to bring mechanical grip back into the game because people they were losing audience like formula one uh uh, uh, you know diehard fans were just like this isn't entertaining enough i'm not seeing anybody die for for absolutely i'm not seeing anybody die for a for a for a proper um an entry i'm not seeing anybody die for a um um, you know, for, for 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 first or second or third. No, so no are, one
1: wants to see anyone. No one wants to see anyone. You, are you saying die? No, yeah, exactly. No, I'm not. No, yeah. no I'm saying. Well, no one no. wants to see that, but they want to. They want to think that it's possible. They want. Right. They want to know that that's there. That it's that dangerous. And so it's, it's a it's a balance that has to be struck, right? Where, and I think the word the word you're looking for that desire that, that you want. In motorsports, is it needs to be a spectacle?
0: Well, I mean, the word I don't, spectacle. I, 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 I want to. to be more competitive. I want yes, to. Yes, but become let me explain the more, word spectacle okay. because so. spectacle,
1: spectacle covers everything you you want. Right. Spectacle includes the presumption of risk. Right. It, it also is the noise of the V10 or the V12 engine. That's right. It's the visceral. Scare Experience. Scared to watch that car Experience. when it comes by, and you're like. Holy shit! He Should be breaking now. He yeah. should. Why isn't he breaking? I'm about to watch <laughs> it crash. He's still at full throttle, pulling up and you're going. He's gonna crash so hard, and then the thing breaks at the fifty marker. That's right. From 220 miles an hour, and somehow makes the corner, and and you you will never forget that moment when you first see it. That's right. That spectacle, right? So so you're trying to you're trying to create spectacle and to your point of they had to add a bunch of grip back into the cars you're exactly right they finally realized that and that's a big issue that i have with jean Tort and the fia is right. them thinking they know better than the fans when right. it comes to the spectacle right. and they're like no the fans will appreciate the strategy of the pit stops that's where all the passes are going to happen our fans are very sophisticated they don't need to see real passing occurring on the track we'll you know and 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 so that's that's the mentality they're going to like that the cars are quiet it's going to be okay because they'll appreciate that they're hybrids uh but we we know that there that that is true of a certain percentage of people but it is not the majority of motorsports fans who are there for a spectacle Right. right the spectacle is everything it is it is the hair standing up on the back of my neck. It is I'm worried for these drivers. These cars are so fast. I can't believe how fast they're going. You know, and, and then that then the driver takes on this hero like status, this almost super like status. That's
0: superhuman, exactly. But that- if, the,
1: but if car if you go to a Formula E race and you're like oh God, I was driving a Porsche GT three this morning around a racetrack, that Porsche GT three is faster than a Formula E car Correct. around a racetrack. Right. And it'll drive a lot longer. And so that's not right.
2: <laughs> <Right>. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know, what I've been
1: – yeah. But, but uh, a, a modern Formula One car – by the way, they're they're louder than you realize. They've made them louder in the last couple of years. They're not quiet anymore. They don't sound like a V12 or a V10. I get that. But they, they're not quiet.
0: The V6 wind turbines? Oh, yeah. They're, yes. They're not bad, yeah. but they're not – I'm not – But, it, but it,
1: they, are, they are ungodly fast. So if right. you go watch where they're braking and watch how hard these cars accelerate – it, it will scare you to death. It, there sure? is spectacle again in Formula One since the 2017 rule changes when they added the wider tires right. uh, and more downforce. And again, you, we can argue back and forth and everyone does about whether that's improved the actual passing and the racing. Right. The, but it has made the cars. I think they're six or seven seconds a lap faster than they were uh, in 2015 and mm. 16. Right. Uh, and so, and so, these cars are the fastest race cars that have ever been. You remember the uh, 919 Evo went and beat Lewis Hamilton at yeah. Spa. He the track record. But yeah. the next year they went back with the changes, and they're now faster they're again correct. than the 919 Evo. Which because is huge. They're, they're so fast right now, it's crazy. Yeah. So but to, to realize they're even going to race wheel to wheel with how quickly these cars can accelerate or decelerate, you you appreciate that. And it, it kind of makes your initial point, I'm not going to say moot, but it, it does negate it a little bit because the level of talent it takes to twirl all those knobs on that steering wheel and drive that car as fast as it is during a race with 19 other people doing the same thing trying to beat you uh it, it is a level of of human achievement that is impressive right and so what what hamilton and company are doing in a formula one car right now in verstappen the level of driving that's going on in that series uh is on par with anything that has happened in history in a race car right. they are driving the hell out of those things and and so you know don't, don't think they're not trying harder. And, and oh, maybe no, no. they're I'm, even trying a, li- a little I'm, bit harder because they realize that they are safer. So they're right. actually pushing the spectacle even more so because right. we'll definitely do something – and, and I, I do have a little bit, and we didn't talk about it, so I'll mention it now, but I do have a little bit of background in sports psychology and physiology because I, I've i been training people how to drive race cars for 30-plus years, and I wrote a book called Optimum Drive. Correct, um, which we, that, I was
0: going to bring up. I'm sorry. I was supposed to bring it up at so, the beginning. No worries. No worries. No worries it's the
1: perfect time to do it. Do it when it's relevant. So, so I kind of – I understand the the physiology and the psychology of what goes on in a racing driver's head from people that I train at very high levels. Entry level to myself as a professional right. racing driver, so so I know what they're doing in those cars and how hard it is, and uh, and yeah, would I like to see them with an H-pattern manual <laughs> gearbox and all? Yeah, yeah I
0: I i I'm, I, I mean the Lotus remember I, remember the V8 I, Lotus the 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 which was the Formula One cars I forgot their name they had a specific uh, chassis name which was the the ones that had the smaller just a little chassis. bit smaller yeah they were the ones that had the smaller. Um, Smaller tires up front. They were, I think, two inches smaller oh, oh, than the no, rear. That was the tarot. The tarot yes. taro six wheel tarot. Yes. No, not the six yeah. wheel. That was that was like oh. the craziest version of that. But the cars yeah. that the they were four wheel, but they just had a smaller diameter uh, a front wheel and front tire, and then the rears were, I mean, they look like fucking bigger than F one wheels that we saw in the nineties and yeah, yeah. um got yeah, those big balloon tires in the back. Yeah. Those car's
1: tended to understeer a lot by the way.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. But that was <laughs> not that was, good. That nope. was that was the point though. That, that that was like it was an impossible car to try to get around a corner and people still managed to hey, listen, let me learn to see what the car how it reacts. Let me learn how it how it reacts, you know, at, at, at below 50, at above 100 when I'm trying to shoot for yeah. an apex. But that's never and good. Then,
1: I'm just going to say it, understeer oh, well, is never. Oh, for good. sure. Of so, course not. Of course so it, not. it's like you could design a better car than that. That oh, doesn't yeah. Do yeah that yeah. it's But it's always it's always it's always like that with within racing. I mean, that's the nature of racing is it's it's the cutting edge of technology Uh, and it's more so it's it's more so cutting cutting edge than than really anything else that's going on, because there's more money per F1 car happening than there than there is. That SpaceX is doing, right. you know, in, into the rocket. Like a <laughs> rocket is a simple thing compared to a Formula One car. It has right. to be because it has to be stone reliable because right. it's going into space for God's sake. Right. But but a, a Formula One car, it's like SpaceX is competing, but they're not competing with a lot of other people. You think of like these no. the F one teams competing with each other. They're pushing technology as far as down the path of diminishing return. further than than really any other engineering exercise that exists on the planet right what's going on and and you watch like watch red bull has this video called the life of a bolt (laughs) it's crazy it It just it just shows like the designing of a single bolt that goes in that car because they make their own nuts and bolts they make
0: everything themselves yeah every Every single component on the car and so
1: you look you look at that and so could the racing be better it could be better but the the fact of the matter is that it's as good as it can be considering how complicated the equation is now since Jackie Stewart organized the drivers and it turned into a commercial enterprise where they have – they have a lot of different people to please, not just the fans. They've oh, yeah. got to build road cars based on it. They've got this reputation, that reputation. They got partners like you think Remains. of Shell and all of those people. Yeah, the, the, they they have skin in the game too. What kind of fuel? Our oil, our additives, all of those things. So they're getting pulled in in one thousand different, different directions. Road. Yeah, that nobody really was. Back in the 60s in and the 70s, when it was just like some some teams, literally Terrell and Lotus were in garages, like sheds, yeah. like old farm buildings, building Formula One cars, going out and taking on Ferrari. Yeah, that, that's actually how things were happening in the mid '60s. And it was like, oh yeah, great. it's like it can't be that anymore. No, of yeah, course. It, it, ju- it just, it just, can't. And it, and it's now become so big. And then you think, oh, let's throw in commercial television rights into the mix. Right. You know, and, and and the billions of dollars that that is worth. And and you look at the commercial, all the different directions that pulls. And and I'm I'm actually like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be sort of bittersweet about Formula One and racing in general. But but the fact of the matter is, it's still pretty darn good and the level of cars and competition is insane and it is driving the whole industry forward and i, I would say if you want to see just spectacular racing just go watch moto gp
0: oh no yeah that's that's a whole I mean, different level if
1: of, watch, of if you watch the insane. mugello race that was just just a couple days ago mugello italy the, the amount of passing that's going on in motor gp because again they're they're simple there's very simple vehicles, and of course you can fit 15 motorcycles side by side on a right. racetrack where you could barely fit three cars. Fetched like three cars so that, exactly. And they're also they have the availability of doing some different lines and things like that that the cars can't do. So right. um, the bike racing has amazing passing that goes on and is amazing racing, and I watch it equally with the car racing because I just enjoy the racing. But right. I still enjoy Formula One. Because those cars, like I said, the, the visceral spectacle of how fast those cars are. So I, I like the racing of MotoGP, but a Formula One car is about 45 seconds a lap quicker around right. the same racetrack. Right. It's, it's not yeah, even it's close. A, it's a like downforce. A, a good, the, the, a good the downforce. road car. It's not just downforce, but well, it's also a mechanical. Ser- graphic. Exactly. General gravity. General gravity you can only and, break right. a bike at 1.7 g, yeah. or you flip over the handlebars. Yeah, you, have,
0: you have. exactly. You have a lot of limitations with the drivers. So that, yeah. the riders. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's, that's it's
1: a huge. A motorcycle versus a, a four-wheeled, a two-wheeled vehicle versus a four-wheeled vehicle. Yeah. Uh, very different physics going on there. So, but, but my point is, is like, there's great racing in MotoGP, and they're going really slow relative right. to a Formula One car. Right. There's an amazing spectacle watching Formula One. Yeah, there's only five or six cars that could win any given race, but. But those cars are are special and they are the pinnacle and they are ridiculously fast. And And people just don't – you have to go to one of those races and watch those cars go by because I've had people go, I went to a Formula E race. Is that like Formula One? I'm like, yeah, you no. obviously <laughs> – Because <laughs> those cars will frighten you. It's like someone that's never oh, yeah. seen a top speed dragster or a funny car launch. Oh, yeah. They'll
0: get the shit scared away. out of them just, just when the fucking thing turns on. That. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and so that's or, or watch, a, you know, not that we get to do this, but, you know, you watch a, an F-18 launch off a carrier deck. You no, know, no, or that's a,
0: insane. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's like there's the a whole is, level of crazy. We're, we're, I, I think also what's going on, Paul, is that we're uh, another completely separate thing that really doesn't have to do with cars, but with culture, with people, and especially with young people right now is just the it's the um, it's the conditioning especially with cars like that's why the other day when i i saw you posted the 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 trailer for um for the ford versus ferrari that's going to be you know what i think it'll probably be i I think i posted on your on your uh comment i just put a comment real quick and i just said this is probably going to be the best probably the best most realistic racing movie we've had in either it's going to be the best or will be one of the best um of today's um You know, movies that are coming out. As far as when it comes out, the cars. Because my problem, and kind of the same thing. I mean, not that it's comparable, but with F one, I'm sure. I think you could maybe side with me on this. Is Hollywood has become a? a, It's just a nothing else to call it than just CGI shit. It's just every single thing you can think of in every single different type of movie today. It's it's 90 percent CGI, and you know, let me tell you, I watched uh, – what was it on uh, – today's Friday, Friday, Saturday night. Dude, I put it on Terminator 2. Fucking A. That movie had the best CGI that today makes it, – it, it made the CGI from today look like it, it, it should be the other way around. This, this is a movie that was made in the 90s. And when you watch the T-1000 transforming and going through the bars, you, you just – you can't even believe your eyes that this is – if this was real – this is exactly what it would look like, and that that whole that whole thing is something that really bothers me because I mean, finally we have I don't even know who the producer of the movie and, and who who thought up the movie up, but let me tell you, talk about a a great um, a great story uh, realistic story, you know, racing epic story that that needed to be put into a film and I don't know the past thirty years I mean it should have been made already like ten times over, but I'm glad that it hasn't. Um, and i think it's going to be a, a great uh, a great movie and they i think they have the right feel there was uh, at the end of the trailer there was that part where the car kind of flipped over it was a little bit exaggerated but obviously you can't do it as slow as you want to because then it just wouldn't look as good on on the silver screen which that's another yeah. thing about yep. you know. and you you again it's another it's another balancing act of
1: of uh, you know balancing what would be commercially viable and and steve mcqueen went through this and he right. and that's why he ended up producing Lama by himself is that they wanted much more of a love interest and they right. wanted it to all to be fake and it, so right. this, is, this is 1970 so right so it, it's it's not like this is a new problem right and right. and so and so that's it's always been an issue and of course as a society we've changed considerably not necessarily for the better no. uh especially that's not- as where comes for an understanding of people that you know that that want to go and take risk doing things you know you got the one hand you've got extreme sports and that's really cool but you know it's not people don't really understand they they're more into and I, i see this from a driver training perspective like people think they're good drivers already when i get them right and they're like oh i'm 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 you know i'm i'm a really great driver and what they're basing that on is like how they drive relative to the people that drive around them. Exactly. So, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, Which is not a good
0: example. Yeah,
1: whether they're – and maybe like person. in a best-case best scenario, they're in a league at an indoor go-kart track. Right. But that's not – it's not even usually at that level. You right. know, usually it's just based on their road driving.
0: Right. And
1: so they come to a racetrack thinking they're good race car drivers already.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's you a know, bad and, mentality and to
0: have. You're
1: and they, they said if you ask an average – if you do a poll of American drivers you say a scale of 1 to 10, how good are you as a driver, that the yeah. average answer in America is an 8.
0: Yeah. They, if you crack. ask the same
1: question in, in Germany or – England or, or France, the average answer will be a three or a four.
0: Exactly. Because they know. They know that they're not shit compared to anything. They wouldn't even be close to a racing car. Yeah, and it's like, and, and it's even
1: like, even to be like, even to be an amateur race car driver is a huge level above yeah. what the average road driver is. And then to yeah. go to be a professional driver, and this is something I talk about very extensively in my book because my book's really about the difference between good and great. There, yeah. I think there have been a, a lot of racing books that have been written to try and get people to be good, to be right. a, a good amateur driver. And, right. I, and, and in, in reading all those books, as I have of a student of the sport, something that's been a part of my life for my whole life, um, that I realized no one had ever written about the last like second. Right. You know, that, Which that is the most important. A, and, and that takes... You know, like you, you can become a good amateur driver relatively quickly, but that last second, most people never achieve. If you think about, like, the percentage of drivers that go from um, being, let's say, uh, a road driver to an a indoor go karter to an autocrosser to a track J junkie to an SCCA racer to an SCCA pro racer to a top flight. Paid IMSA racer all the way up to a Lewis Hamilton,
2: right? Formula you know, one verstappen, race car Max
1: verstappen, um, you know, top, you know, battle, uh, top of the line, you know, uh, as far as a Formula One driver, like you're you're going up, you're, and you you'd look at that like the shape of a pyramid, and how pointy it gets at the top, like how oh, yeah. few people reach that level, and, oh, yeah. and trust me, they're surrounded by such a high level of engineering that what they do from a driver's perspective. Is is beyond what I can do as a driver because I don't have that support around me that could take me to that level, you know. So so that's another well, um, premise so th- premise in my book. By the way, is that is that anyone could be a great yes. driver, given and anybody has the potential within them to reach that level. It's like so few tick all the boxes and then have the insane determination to put themselves in that position eventually at some point in their life so
0: i think i think those are two really interesting things you had said and something i'm glad you brought up because i was going to bring it up and you kind of beat me to it but so i have to read your book that's first of all because you know without
1: that (laughs) i'm trying to hypnotize everyone i'm going to speak very slowly you're going to go to Amazon.com and you're going to buy Optimum Drive. <laughs> have to, have it's actually free Optimum. as an audio book, you, you know, so that's awesome. that's kind of cool. But but okay. I, I totally recommend the book or, because it's uh, it's a bit more accurate than the audiobook.
0: Well, this is – so I wanted to break so many things down, man, and just – I'm trying to keep my my shit together as far as wanting to get uh, – wanting to do this Say, Sorry. What's that? I said I talk a lot. Sorry. Oh, no, 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 no. Are you kidding? This is why this is why I wanted to have this podcast with you, man. You're not, uh, you're not a, a person that just goes, yeah, so this does this and that does that, and then I'm done. No, no, no. Like you go into full explanation, which I think is awesome, man. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to Thanks. also bring up was, you're welcome, So what, what, about what you said. So when you said that, and I heard you talking about it in the other podcast, and I said, I got to ask him about that, because that's something that me... I'll tell you this, man. I've been. I mean, I again, unfortunately, have not been able to go full-blown professional, only because it's what the other person had mentioned. in The other podcast is is money. I think today that's one it's of not the money. Well, it's not. I I put it this way. So if you if 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 I wasn't limited to the restriction of money right now, then I don't think I don't think I'd be stuck where I am right now, not being able to go out of the racetrack every single day of my life to try to be. To try to get to that it. point.
1: You could okay, be on so, a racetrack every single day of your life if you ha- wanted to.
0: Okay. So so we have to work out that equation because let me tell you, I've been trying to find out how not to money. do it. And it's – okay. Well, so, th- so the fact that you say that every person can become that ultimate – not even that ultimate. Not, forget about Formula One. Forget about Formula One. That's just – like you said, just at least becoming a pro driver – at, a, at, a, at, at ANSA, at um, you know, any type of competing uh, group right now that is out there that is, is competing professionally at a professional level. My, my goal was always, look, my goal was to do this. Formula One, forget about that. If you're, in my, in my opinion, if you're not born into that special group of people, and I'm not talking about as far as ability. Not, I'm just that's thinking. not true either, but keep going. Okay, well that, that's what.
1: None, none of that is true. Those, everything you're about to say and have been saying are excuses. Excuses, okay. So um, everything, I I really hope it's no matter how, how, no matter how cleverly you you conjure this thing up and how much time you spend and work on it and how substantial you think your reasoning is, it is only an
0: excuse. Well, um, so check this out. I'm not trying to make an excuse. For sure without a doubt what i'm trying to, I'm trying I to say here what you're going to say next so, after that so what i'm trying to say is this, this is what i'm saying is that as far as formula one let's just say on an age restriction i'm 35 years old now i'm not saying i can't do it put me in a formula one if you put me listen we'll go to the the super america track at, at texas they're, they're renting out the lotus right now for ten thousand dollars let's go ahead and do it i'm ready i'm i'm fucking ready to go man but you the, could, the issue is what's that
1: buy a seat in the Williams and you could do it if you were exceptionally good enough that someone would would buy that seat cuz trust me Lance exactly. Stroll has his seat for money.
0: Right. But you have to show that you have to have a you have to have your you have to have your uh, your, res-
1: your resume. racing resume.
0: Yeah, that's what you'd right. have to go
1: earn. That's what exactly. you have to go earn. And but, and but I'm just
0: saying it's possible. It's
1: it's it's incredibly unlikely at 35 or me at 54. It's incredibly unlikely. Because that I would be racing a Formula 1. No, no. Really My physics up. I can physically do it, no problem at all. Oh, really? Okay.
0: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: There's, there's, no, there's no physical limit. I just I would have to train, and I'd have to train harder than I would when I was younger, but I'm fitter right now than I was when I was 18.
0: Right. Yeah, but you have to okay, just, so, buy, just, like, for example, your neck. Like, your neck has yeah. to be, you have to well, you you do this crazy neck, that, right? Process. Oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. You can work up to it, yeah. Yeah,
1: So, and, and, and so using that as the example, you can work up to everything. That would make you great enough to drive a Formula One car,
0: right? But the I think, but, but, but the, the thing other. that you made, the the main point that you mentioned in your book, and you were talking to the other podcasts, and that's something that really drew my attention when I heard it. I was like, "What? How could he be saying this?" I don't. And and look, your <laughs> your opinion is obviously a lot more valid than mine because look where you're thank you thank <laughs> you. But what I'm saying is this, and this is something I have felt, and you talked about that. That was the major thing feeling. So that's, that's where I think there's a difference. And, you know, that whole thing that you, you brought up or what, what I think a lot of people that have gone racing and, and the people that I think have it. So there has been some research now into people that have what's called the, the adrenaline gene or the extreme, uh, extreme sports gene, whatever you want to call it. There are some people on this earth that, you know, through their families, obviously, and I, I'm a firm believer in genetics. I love genetics because it really – could sometimes explain a lot of, of obviously of your attributes and your abilities and special things that certain people can do. Now, I get what you're saying that pretty much anybody in the world so I'm a drummer. I've been drumming since I was 14 years old. And I could probably teach almost everybody that you, if you get if you put me in front of 100 people with enough time, they could probably get their what's called their independence where all their, you know, appendages are completely individual from From their whole body, like their right hand. You gotta do that driving, by the way. What's that? You You gotta do do that driving. Exactly. Right. So that's one of those, right. But what I'm saying is that with drumming, it's, I think, and and it's funny because this is something I learned uh, recently, which I think is something maybe you have never thought of and I didn't think of it. And this is something you'll find really cool. So check this out. So most human beings, actually all human beings, obviously, that are born naturally, they all have this instinct to drum on certain things, and believe it or not, let me ask you see if you can come up with the answer. Where do you think that that instinctual like drumming, you know wanting to tap on certain things, and it depends on different persons from, from, from person to person, where some people will you know tap on stuff when they get nervous, some of them will just do it when they're bored. Where do you think that comes from
1: i i I kind of agree like it's 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 more of um, it's more of like a almost like a tick, like you know, you kind of tap yeah. tap your leg from anxiety. Right. Uh, in a lot of cases, if you are nervous, you kind of right. kind of do that. Like it's it's funny. Uh, like my son does it a lot. Like you know, sit next to him at a at a movie, okay. and it's like comes to a tense scene in the movie, and all of a sudden the seats vibrating. You vibrating. know, Because he's like, <laughs> yeah, and, and I and I, you know, I, my my wife catches me doing that occasionally right. too. So I think it's kind of built into us, and so to but me, where do you, it where would you think like? From? So I don't okay, want to stop. So, you, but... so here's here here it is. Like okay. so I think of like a, a cat getting ready to pounce or a lion. Uh so but they do that, they do that little wiggle before they right. pounce to set to set their muscles before they launch. So you're sort of like you're sort of uh it's like a sprinter in the blocks. They right. move their feet back and forth like right before the launch. So it's kind of like this ready, set, go instinct that we have. Right. Where we're sort of trying to time out, if you think about, like, you're running, uh, just running, because that's rhythmic, right? And right. you want to you wanna jump something running. Like, think of the hurdles as being a great example. Right. There's a certain cadence to, to jumping hurdles. You know, they take however many strides, and then they leap, and they take how right. many strides, and then they leap. So, right. so I think that's just built into our, um, our physiology right. of, of us whenever we're active, whenever we're moving. Everything we do has a certain... Uh, rhythm to it,
0: right? Well, that's a that's a very <laughs> scientifically uh, uh, a Good portion of what you said is is true But check this out. So now I'm gonna now I'm gonna try to, you know, blow your mind with something all right All of us were born and are in our mom's womb for nine months And what do you think we constantly hear in the heartbeat? Yes, sir so the heartbeat the reason that we have this instinctual beating thing in us is because it comes from nine months of constantly hearing the heartbeat. So, trying to separate this from the driving stuff that we were just talking about racing and everything. So, as far as this drumming thing, yes, I can, I think, again, I'm not the best drummer in the world, but I, you know, I've been drumming for a long time and I've learned a lot of stuff, but I'm still learning. Every single day I learn little things, yep. like just Good recently, attitude. yeah. Just just, uh, just recently, I, I, I got myself, finally, it's fucking 20 million years later, I got myself a a, a set of double bass uh, pedals, and I was able to really just pick it all by myself and trying to get some technique, and just slowly, within two, three months, I picked it up, and now I can do stuff that, in the beginning, uh, when I first started, even two months ago, a oh, month and a half ago, I couldn't do. And what I started doing was, uh, when, I, when I'm driving, with my left foot, because usually your right foot is what you start with, obviously, with most drummers. And then your left foot is the one that gets left just uh, uh, pressing the pedal on the hi-hat, but no no bass pedal. So what you'll do is that if you do some exercises in the car, which I've been doing lately, I worked those muscles to finally get them to, because at first it, it they hate, they really were hurting every time I tried to do these exercises and these repetitions. Once I got the muscle memory into them and they finally started getting used to that movement, it stopped hurting. So I think some of that, is what you're saying that it, that you that pretty much anybody in the world could be taught to be the fastest they can at a race car? But this is where I think there's some differences.
1: No, no, I no. I could say they could be faster, the fastest person in the world
0: mm-hmm. in a
1: race car, not just as fast as they can.
0: But the, in, in, like Aaron said, uh, anyone has the potential just to, to be
1: the best driver.
0: Yep. Good. Okay. So my my question to you is this because I've had a lot of experience like. Doing a lot of fast driving, not to your extent, obviously. But I've been on race I've done a lot of really crazy stuff on street. on, um, you know, as far as street racing, I know you probably think that's ridiculously stupid, but trust me, we didn't go out there Don't and just do it, kids. I exactly. <laughs> so we didn't. We didn't just go out there in the middle of US one and start doing you know, uh, hundred mile per hour drifts in the middle of traffic at three o'clock in the day and massive traffic. You know, me and my crew, we would go out you had to work uh, up to that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, so we, what we would do is we'd go out to Okeechobee, a famous road here in, in Florida, and it's a huge, huge road. There's nobody really on there at you know, 12 o'clock in, in, the, in the night. We'd go out. There were huge groups of people. We'd go out there, believe it or not, with state troopers and with some local cops that were like diehard drag racers, you know, diehard guys that have been drag racing their whole lives that didn't think that, oh, yeah, you're all criminals and you're fucking terrorists. Let's throw you in jail. And um so we did it in a very you know, we had guys with walkie-talkies on either end side of the of the road, and we we had picked that up almost half a mile, sometimes a mile, of, of these spotters that would be out there letting us know if there was cars coming, if there was traffic, this, that, whatever. We tried to do it as safe as you can in a non-controlled environment. And it was funny because I'll tell you this. So, my experience the first day I set foot on a racetrack, I had my friends c 606 car had 640 horsepower. He had it set up with, uh, they put, uh, we did, uh, he, what did he do with the suspension? He had gone with, uh, obviously, Coilovers. I think it was KW Coilovers. And then he did the, um, oh, man, I'm forgetting. There's a, a shock system that uses oil, and it's basically out of a race car. I just forgot the brand right now. I'm just trying to think of the brand it was. But it was this amazing brand that, um, obviously, it gives you the ability of trying to make that car semi into a race car because it's not like you know with leaf suspension you can go that crazy that was one of the reasons why we would decided to take all that shit out throw it out finally do coilovers so car had about 640 to the wheels uh he had taken the car to k-tech huge mistake by the way i don't know if, if you've ever had experience with k-tech but they built him an engine that lasted him like a hundred hours of racing it was ridiculous but that sounds like a good race engine
1: they built oh, him a racing engine
0: yeah well but right but that's the,
1: that's that's a good, good amount of hours to get out of a race engine.
0: Well, true. But, but the thing was that they didn't tell him that. They said, this is a fully built engine. You can just go, you know. I so. bet that's
1: what he asked for. They that right. gave him exactly
0: what he asked for. Well, he, Let <laughs> me tell you, he, he definitely yeah. paid for it, man. He definitely paid for it. Yeah, he yeah. paid almost like $15,000 But anyway, so, you know, um, and the first, it was the funniest thing, man. Uh, the first thing that I see, the first visual, you know, thing that my eyes are telling my brain. Right before going into the, uh, uh, into the racetrack was a crash. This was a 997 GT3. I have pictures of it. It's hilarious. Silver 997, you know, of a guy that obviously got in, a, you know, thinks, oh, I have a GT3. Oh, I'm a race car driver now. I'm magically now a race car driver because I have a car that's semi good on the track. So I got to be a race car driver. Um, the guy made a stupid mistake of, um, have you ever been down, uh, Paul, just question, have you ever been down here to Homestead um, yeah. in Miami? Oh, you have? Okay, cool. Yep. So you know that there's that dip that uh, – yep. to to Yeah, re-trace. like turn okay. three, four. Yes. Yes, sir. So on that dip, instead of him being flat out and maybe letting off just a little bit, he didn't do that. He let off completely and then slammed on the brakes because he freaked out So and didn't countersteer enough. You know, and by countersteering enough, I'm talking about maybe putting half a degree. I mean nothing, but you know, freaked him out, put himself into the wall. So this is the first thing I'm seeing. So get on the racetrack, and it was the weirdest thing, man. The first time in my life, my brain is starting to is trying to compute. Okay, you got to watch out for cars. You got to watch out for cops. You got to watch out for other cars. You got to, you know, (laughs) you're in a non-controlled environment. And the first time in my life, my brain was going, Oh, wait a minute, we're on a racetrack. All I have to do is worry about maybe some of the other cars that are on the racetrack and and be able to beat all of them, and just aim for my apexes and make sure that I'm braking at the at the break points where I'm supposed to be. That's it. That's all I got to do. I, it was hilarious. And I found it very easy coming from, again, a long life of street racing.
1: So, yeah. and that's why and, they don't want people <laughs> racing on the streets and why you should race on a track. It's a controlled yes. environment and you can, you know, there's not some random person backing out of a driveway or making a left in front of you, you know, right. And, and it's your fault because you shouldn't oh, yeah. be doing that on the road.
0: Oh, no, for sure. And I, I, you know, again, I mean, we're all young, we're all stupid, you know how that is. But, yep. so, I, it was funny because, and it was, it was easy and and it was funny because I was talking to, I mean, the first lap I ran around the instructor, I made him shit his pants. I mean, granted the guy was about 60 years old, but he had, he had had plenty of, of lap time and uh, excuse me, time on the track at, at Homestead and he himself had a C606 and man, I went in flat, uh, at turn 10 coming back around the, uh, the, the rear side of the racetrack. Where you come in, you, you know, you can come in pretty hot if you if you if you nail the, the angle correctly. I was doing 140, 150 miles per hour. And man, he was he I mean he didn't say anything until I got through it, but right after I got through it, he was shitting his pants. He's like, I didn't know that this car could do that. So, you know, I've I've always tried to it's not even me trying to push myself, it's just that there's a certain, and I want to say instinct, where at those speeds, I, I tend not to worry about what's going on except for what I need to worry about. And I'm not even worrying about it. It's just like a subconscious thing. Something that you had mentioned again in the other podcast that I had listened to you. So I think I think not I don't think everybody can do that, Paul. I don't think and, and as far as speed, when you throw speed in the factor and yes, they, they can, it. man. Any you really
1: think so? Anyone can do it. Okay. Yep. I, I know. I like I said, thirty years. Okay. I All I, right. I you know whether they can do it as quickly, like learn it as fast as you did it. Right. That's the question. But can right. they do it? Yeah. The, and the, here, here's, here's you got two, two different timelines at work here. Um, first of which is, is intelligence. Okay. Right. Intelligence gains you speed, as far not speed on the track, speed in learning things. Right. All right. And then you factor that against determination. Okay. So, so if you're looking at someone that is very intelligent but not very determined, they don't tend to learn a lot of things, even though right. they're super smart. That's why the intelligence isn't the same as wisdom, right? Right, or experience. Right.
0: Yeah, there's so, two different things. So,
1: two different things. So, so all you're looking at, like when when I'm training people, people are like, "Can I be a you know Can I be a good driver? Can I be a great driver?" Yeah, absolutely. It depends how determined you are, right. and. Then if you're intelligent too, then that really helps because that's going to that's going to get you there faster. But what happens with almost everyone is that they run out of determination, not potential. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, they run out of determination. Sense. Now, yeah, you, th- th- a lot of people people. say I r- I ran out of money. Right. Uh, I ran out of money. No, you ran out of determination. You didn't run out of money. Because because I know of stories. There's stories of people that could have stopped then because they ran out of money, but they went and found more, right? Yeah. Because why? Because they were determined.
0: Determination, yeah.
1: That's okay. it. So, so how you felt in that corner, fantastic. You know, you impressed a driving instructor? Awesome. Yeah.
0: Not, not a how big far deal. Is that up
1: the, how far is that up the, the scale of great driving? Right. We'll, we'll never know until you kind of try and reach your potential, and then we'll know right. how good you can actually be. But that sounds like a good... A good day and a good first step, right? Right. And and you're on you're on the path. But anyone, and and again, I've seen so many people. Right? I'm talking about like in the thousands I've coached now, thousands of people putting them through the same process and watching them run out of determination at some point or not, and then and then seeing them being pro drivers today and still coaching them today, and and you know like that kind of wink or, or handshake when I see him. And I'm just like, man, I'm really proud of you. And you realize right. what it is. And some of them, again, not like, not super fast learners, but right. just really, really determined. determined. They, right. they never, and, and when I say determined, it's like, are you willing to sleep in your car and not uh, ha, own anything, yeah. you know? And your car is a $500 car and you drive it to racetracks. I've got friends, close friends, that that's their story when they were kids. Ah they were that determined to become a professional driver.
2: Right. No, so, and I. So you know, I, I, the I point would...
1: of homelessness, and they right. had no personal money, zero, not a dollar, right? They, they earned their way all the way to the top of professional uh-huh. race. And, and again, was there anything exceptional about them physically? Like, did they have really fast reflexes? Did they have really good eyesight? No, 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 and no. Right. They just, they had this unwavering determination. And I, I, when I say they, I didn't. I realize that now at my age that that's why I never, I never made it to Formula One. I just didn't want it bad enough. I was really? willing to make excuses. I was willing to make excuses.
0: But you wouldn't, you, would, wouldn't you say, because I, I mean, I've, I've tried to study most of this, the, the whole Formula One. You know, hey, you got to kind of not be born into it. about to tell me excuses, aren't you? <laughs> no 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 you see it, i'm asking a, i'm a asking a question <laughs> I'm, I'm asking i'm asking uh paul a question so um what i'm asking is is that i've i i mean even personal not personal friends obviously i don't really know anybody that drives a formula one car but i know a couple people f3 drivers i know actually it's a really crazy story so i met a member of the royal family from Saudi Arabia walking my dogs at at a dog park here in Miami. There's crazy. thousands
1: and thousands of princes in Saudi Arabia. So, exactly, not, not super so, rare, but yeah, right.
0: But I'm saying he he was one of them, and he again he yes. was his him and his brother are F three drivers this that whatever. Um, obviously, they. I'm not I'm not trying to make him the example. I'm saying that, for example, like when my mom was when I was really young, and we would go to like. It was over here in Miami. It was called Malibu Grand Prix. They had like the you know the kid go cars. I, I was I had I had a club car license at Malibu Grand Prix. Oh shit! No way! I still have that's awesome. <laughs> okay, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. So, dude, I, Paul, I was listen. I was hitting apexes and looking in my rear, you know, looking back always to see how far I was from the people behind me before I knew what an apex was. So. And, and 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 back to what we were talking about, something you that, that that I wanted to ask you, you said specifically that there are certain people. You put them in a car, they know exactly feeling wise what the angle is of how much rotation they have to put um, in the steering wheel to get out of a spin, or when they're starting, you know, when the car starting. They, to they don't. Up.
1: They don't. They don't like uh, instinctively know that. They learn that.
0: That's true. They learned it. But but you tell me how I did that when I was a kid and didn't because didn't you, you learned it.
1: You learned it. You don't need to have names for things. I was doing that right. on a bicycle and on a pair of skis when I was a child. Right. I didn't have right. any of that named. I was doing it on a skateboard. You ever right. ride skateboards as a kid and you get it right to the point where it's sliding, Correct. Right. You know, because they don't have a lot of grip skateboards right. and then you just slide them, and you're like, "Oh, that's kind of fun to slide the skateboard." Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, "Oh, that that could actually turn into a trick." Yeah. You know, and, and on a bicycle, I used to I raced BMX as a kid, you know. It's, it's like any of that stuff, that's where you're, it's that's all experience.
0: your experience that's where well, you're it's, learning. It's, no, it's, no
1: one's born with any of that.
0: It's really you're funny.
1: Only-
0: it, it's funny. Sorry, I didn't want to interrupt you, Paul. I just, it's funny that you, you're you saying this. Not funny in a funny way. I'm saying it's funny because I got a good friend of mine. He actually just got here from Brazil. He. I'm sure you know what CRG, uh, Carding CRG uh, company. Yep. Okay. So he had a, a huge CRG dealership in Brazil um, for almost seven years, and he had to close it down. But he, he's here now. And me, and me and him have gotten into this discussion many times before about this whole feel and this, this whole, you know, this instinct, this racing. And he, he, he goes along exactly what you say. And I, I would get pretty heated with the conversation because, you know, he told me, listen. He says, it's experience. Exactly what you're telling me. It's, it's If you do it enough times, you'll learn it well enough where you have that amount of experience, then you can master it. And I totally agree with what he says but what i don't agree paul is that trying to try to get someone let's say that's i mean just completely let's been in a horrific car accident and doesn't want to go above 20 miles per hour i'm just trying to bring out examples I'm it's not, just time it's right like time. time
1: all time. all you're ever all you're ever gonna do like we could have this conversation for hours and hours <laughs> but the only thing that's gonna vary again i gave you the factors already right, right, right. it's it's intelligence and determination, determination. Yeah. So for them, it's determination, right? Right. Determination that's going to get them through that bad car crash. I've done that, dude. I've done that. Right. I've been there with people that have had bar- bad car crashes. Right. They just have to want it bad enough. It's 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 literally all in your head. Yeah, like yeah. It's, it's, it is. Being the You're next Eric right. air- is. is in your head. It's in my head. Right. It's in everyone's head.
0: Well, that was the other thing. He so, just had
1: so- focus, intelligence, and determination to become what he became so with right. michael schumacher say you know you, you think of uh, of lewis hamilton he started right. his he and his dad had no money right. they were from a poor neighborhood and the, he, they just went go karting. right you know and
0: all like Ariton. a lot like ayrton ayrton senate yeah know. well
1: ayrton there was a little bit more money with with ayrton yeah, still yeah. the same kind of thing but there's right. there's plenty of those stories and everyone like go, they they're they're like, oh, Lewis Hamilton. Well, he introduced himself to Ron Dennis you know, when he was right. 10 years old and t- told Ron he wanted to race in a Formula One car. Re- right. Remember the other side of this. He had to be getting the results racing. He yep. had to be winning, 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 winning right. to create the opportunity. Right. So, so that's the determination. It's not like, oh, I, I, I'm so determined that I'm going to go ask Ron Dennis of McLaren if I can drive one of his Formula One cars. Right. You know, Ron's strong. Laughed at Lewis like he would laughed at anyone else. But then he went and looked at Lewis's results, and he kind of raised an eyebrow and went, huh, mm-hmm. this kid's really good. And yeah. he's got that attitude.
0: Right,
1: You know, but and, what, and Lewis, he had to what, learn all that. He had to learn every bit of it.
0: Right. Paul, let me ask you this. What do you think of Ayrton Senna, the fact that, and me having a lot of friends from Brazil, this is a famous story that I grew up around, which was when it rained, or it started to rain, or it drizzled, people at home supposedly would shut their TV, tvs off because they knew that he would win now do you think well no i i'm answering my own question but i'm going to ask you so you're saying that do you think he he purposely maybe practiced in the rain of i mean course. i know he, i know i know he of would course. i know i know he would walk like he would walk the racetrack like he knew every that's a, millimeter that's a professional driver that's right. a professional
1: correct a professional driver you know, any it condition is, it realizes these are the conditions that I could race under. I, I, yeah. I've used I've used the example of I've had really bad exhaust leaks uh, occur while I'm racing, or failures of exhaust systems where your foot starts actually burning, burning. while you're racing. Fuck. You got an hour left in the car, you know, or the exhaust is piping CO two you know emissions it's into the car. car. <laughs> and you're you're a racing driver, and and you, you just you just keep going right your, right to your physical limit. It's right. it's just part of the deal. Um, inside a race car can be 150 degrees for two yeah, hours, for sure. and most people pass out. You're conditioned. You talked about the neck exercises. Right. You know all these are all just part of it. And and again, what's the word that keeps bubbling back up? Determination. Determination. That, that's Would, professionalism. It's like, are you ready to race under all these conditions? And so, right. there's a lot of guys in Formula One, obviously, that weren't as determined as as Ayrton Senna. And right. that that's that's why he's he was so good. Not right. because it was some divine gift. He he worked hard. He put himself in the right cars. He was very shrewd.
2: Right.
1: He he stayed after all the other drivers went home or went out partying. He yes. was with the team talking to them about the settings and the setup of his car. He right. put in extra time every single day to be as great as he was right no one wants to hear that story because that means uh hard work that you'd rather hear that you couldn't be Ayrton that's a (laughs) that's a much more satisfying result because then you're you don't have to feel disappointed in yourself not being as determined once once you say everyone has the potential it's depressing to people but i'm i'm saying it in a way to hopefully motivate people.
0: i think it's li- i think it's liberating i think what you're doing to, to exactly. me is listening to you say what you're saying it's like fuck cuz i'm i'm look i well i can it's tell all you all in that. your head right i mean i can tell you the my childhood story and all that stuff and i look i've i my first word was car ball before mom and dad it was car i mean i know it's stupid oh how about this when i was 3 years old check this out so picture your son. Your son, how old is your son?
1: My son now is 22. Oh,
0: 22. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so a little, bit, a little bit ago, when he was three years old, imagine when we pulled up to the um, to the airport. Uh, my grandma, we were going back to Venezuela because my grandma used to live in Venezuela and Caracas. She had three very prominent uh, a- antique stores. And uh, she was very into art and all that stuff. And um, we were going back. We were in Miami. And this is in an 88, 87 Cadillac. It was... Two years right before Cadillac and most of the manufacturers finally put in the uh, safety feature that you needed to press the brake to engage the uh, the lever into drive. Yeah, it's an '88 Cadillac or '87 Cadillac, a uh, Deville, and they both get out to take the luggage out of the car. And what do I do? I get up, I scoot on over, and I literally put that fucker into drive, and the car starts rolling right into the you know it was going towards the traffic lane because uh, they we had parked on the side of the road to get the luggage out and you know my mom i mean my grandma both freaking out instead of trying to jump into the car and put the car into park they're they're trying to pull the car back so that's not going to do anything so i mean this is at three years old i uh, my mom told me that some service i think it was a guy from the military he just saw what was going on jumped right in put it in park and before she had a chance to say thank you the guy was gone but <clears throat> and i'm not trying to make that like oh yeah i should have become a race-, race car driver because of that no I just – my whole life has been trying to figure out ways – and look what you're talking about. If you're talking about being persistent and determined, trust me, I'm doing my best. I mean I, no, I'm no, – No, you're not. I'm, you're not. I, I'll
1: just stop you and say you're not because you, you didn't do what Lewis Hamilton did. You didn't go karting.
0: I know. I, I will. yeah. I mean I, I wanted to. So,
1: so again, again, that's, that's – I'm, I'm sorry for being kind of blunt, but I just – No, no, it's okay. We, these are, like I said, everything you're going to say from this point in the conversation onwards is just going to be excuses. Remember I said that, right? About yeah. 15 minutes ago.
0: Correct.
1: And that's all you're doing right now because I have people ask me all the time. I'm like, what kind of car do you drive? The like guy's like, I got an M3. Mm-hmm. Sell it. Go buy yourself a CRG cart and right. race in the most popular class that is right. in your area that has a spec tire on it, right? Right. Or by any brand of competitive car. It doesn't have to be a CRG, but you get the point, right? Yeah, yeah just and get yourself in a car and go race. beat everyone racing. in that class. Right. If you do that, if you beat everyone in that competitive class in your region, you will get sponsors. And when you do that, you'll get to go race in the next one. And pretty right. soon, if you keep doing that, this is what Lewis Hamilton did, right? Because that's all he did. He didn't go out to see movies. He didn't hang right. out. He raced. That was right. his life. And right. now, he, now he reaps the rewards of that determination. Of course. Okay? So what about so, Le
0: Mans? Same thing? I mean, if, What's if, that? If if I wanted to try to make it that's, to Le Mans, it's the same thing. Absolutely, start right now. Go right. kart racing.
1: Win, beat everybody. And this is if you're on a if that's your budget. It's like don't go don't go race spec Miata. That's more money, right? Yeah. Don't. It, it's not a lot more, by the way, because karting has gotten expensive. But yeah. again, if you yes. start at whatever <laughs> if you start at a spec class with a fixed tire and a fixed engine, right. you see what I'm saying? Where the class. Oh, yeah. So so your sure. your yearly budget is maybe going to be twenty grand to run this thing. Right. And you win that class, the end of that year, you got sponsors to go to the next class and it begins. Okay. And pretty all soon right, well, you're winning right. the shoot, the supernats and you win the supernats right. and you get you get sponsorship in the supernats and the shifter cart class from some manufacturer that happens to be sponsoring it that year. Think of right. Mazda's Road to Indy, right? right? And Joseph Newgarden and Spencer Piggott, guys racing Indy cars right now. There's a bunch of them that came all the way up through um, racing road to Indy with Mazda sponsorship every step of the way into indycar you know so 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 that's possible
0: totally possible
1: it's completely possible it goes back it's not talent it's determination okay right
0: determination
1: and intelligence is going to get you speed as far as how fast you learn things and but you even if you're not that smart learning how to drive a car. i'm not the smartest guy in the world but i figured out how to drive a car pretty well over time right you know what i mean like and, and so that that's, that. that's all, the only factors in play. Everything else is simply excuses. Right. You're like, what I'm about? willing to give, I'm, to give up your girlfriend. You're willing to give up this. You're willing to give up that. You're willing to give up that. That's that. If the answer is, well, no, then sorry. You're not, yeah. not going to make it. Yeah. But don't think you don't have the potential. You're just not willing to take, the, you know, make the sacrifices and, and dedicate your life to this thing. Right. Because that's what it is. It's nothing short. And you're like, I thought about Carson Step 3. Yeah, great. Awesome. But obviously, you went off and you did other things, which were all fun things, but they all stopped you from doing what you actually say you wanted to do. Right. That's that's it. And, and that's, by the way, that's true of me as well. I could have gone a lot further in motorsports. I'm happy with what I did, but I'm, I, I'm short of what I could have done. And that's because- Is that how you
0: feel? Is that how you feel? You feel that
1: you- I, I'm full of regret. Full of regret. Mm. I, again, I, I, it turned out pretty well for me, but- I, I could have been an F one. I realize that now because all these things I'm telling you, it, it took me 30 years of coaching to understand human beings.
0: Right. No, and no. I I, there, listen, I, I'm not you're going excuses. against. I was I'm there going, making
1: excuses with everybody else. No, no, no. Right. I, and then I'm not, I,
0: I'm, I'm not going against what you're saying, and I, I agree with you. I I I totally agree with what you're saying, and and 30 years of like what you said of. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Teaching human beings certain things, you, 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 you tend to get certain things out of all those 30 years. So I totally understand how you were able to come to this point where you said, hey, it really – and like you said, it, 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 if you have to give up everything, you have to be driving your $500 car, you know, sleeping outside the racetrack to become what you want to become. That's the yeah. determination it takes. That's I it. totally agree with you. I mean, that's, that's for anything. You're baby. about you want to, to, to be- say but. So say but. I don't know, no, but I'm saying it, same thing, same thing, like same thing. If you wanted to be a bit, like, uh, no, you know, you know, who says the same thing? Uh, most of the today's billionaires, uh, yeah, Bill Gates. You, you want to a
1: simple example? Sim- simple example is think of any Olympic athlete.
0: Oh, for sure, those guys are. That's
1: that's, that's like a, a low-hanging fruit, like something yeah. everyone knows, even as a child. Is is you know that Michael Phelps? All he has done his whole life is swam. Yep. Right. Yeah, and he, yeah. that's all he's done. I mean, yeah. he, I, I, have a, I have a friend, a colleague that I work with that made it into the collegiate level of swimming. And he, he talked about, you know, they got up at four in the morning, every morning, seven days a week. Every day. Four in the morning, swam for five hours, Shit. went to school. After school, went back to the pool. Every hey, you gotta day. got to make it your life.
0: You got to make it your life. Seven
1: days a week. Seven days a week. So so the thing is, is like people are in racing, it's like, oh, I can't afford it. It's like yeah. do you have do you have the mindset and the determination of an Olympic athlete? And they're like, what does that have to do with it? Yeah, I exactly. just need a lot of money to go racing. <laughs> it's like, oh, that is a way. You can you can you can be a Lance Stroll and buy your way into Formula One. You can right. do that. But you also, if you if you're claiming you if you don't have that money, right. that is there's, not there's you are another not Formula One. There's yeah. another way. And it happens to be we we put out hundreds and hundreds of Olympic athletes every year in this country, and what what we're what I'm simply saying is you need to have the determination of an Olympic athlete to become a professional driver. Right. But everyone wants to push back and go, no, it's just about money because racing's about money. You know, skiing's not about money. Yeah, uh, you know, field hockey's not about money. Right. It, they're saying that's an amateur sport, but but that's still that is well, considered not at a to professional
0: be, level. Or,
1: Yes, that is the best in the world. To of, like, you know, and, and again, you know, think think of uh, any professional athlete in any of the stick and ball sports, right? right? It's the same thing. Those those guys have been playing basketball or football their whole yes. lives. If you saw yeah. the the amount of hours they put in preparing, oh my god,
0: Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan, and no one said wants it to
1: hear that. Because it's, it's easy just to say, I can't afford to be a professional driver, you know, or I would have been. I'm also just ask my friends. I've got the quickest time this week at the indoor go kart track. You know, I could have been and. And that feels pretty good, and I, I hate to be the dream crusher, but you no, could have been – No,
0: that would have been – infl- yeah.
1: you had you applied yourself like an Olympic athlete, you could have made it well beyond being the fastest guy at an indoor go-kart track.
0: Right. And yeah, that's, I think, and, I, and, I, I think, I that's think that my, my, my whole thing is is that certain people – again, just certain people have that, that – I mean it – it, it's strange because I haven't, I haven't been, I, it's a long story, but I had to sell this amazing M3 that I had, whatever, E36, 97. To go go-kart go racing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, for sure. So, anyway, so, anyways, so um, what I'm saying is, is that um, I haven't experienced um, a lot of adrenaline in my body like I used to. And it feels like it's had a change on me because uh, I, that was another thing I wanted to talk to you about was adrenaline levels. I think that's a huge factor. Once you start, uh, again, like what you said, uh, when you're going out on the racetrack and you haven't been out for maybe a month or so and it, you start getting into that rhythm of trying to get into that very fast lap time and then you, okay, now I'm doing my average. Now I gotta move up forward. Now I gotta keep on going faster. Let me try to cut here. Let me try to cut here. Um, that's something that I think being comfortable at, at high speeds, like that's something I've always, it, it's never been a big deal for me. You know, like me. It's just,
1: it, but yeah, but for anybody, it's just conditioning. Conditioning, correct? Yep. It's think think of think of the analogy of boot camp for um, speaking of D Day, right? The uh, green berets. Yeah, just well, boot camp for anybody. Like right. they're, they're, you know, if you have a draft, you're bringing in the cross cut of humanity. You know, you're right. you're just taking every every guy that passes the physical. From, from the age of, of 18 to 24, or whatever the cutoff happens to be. Right. And, and you bring them into boot camp and you've got this, like, just like you're saying, you've got people that are like, I'm comfortable with guns. They don't scare me. And then you've got other people that are in that same first day in boot camp going, oh, shit. Like, I panic. <laughs> like, I'm in a panic. I can't fight. I'm this, you know, skinny little kid and this right. and that. And they, they got like six weeks to turn you into a soldier.
2: Right.
1: And oh, at yeah, the right. end of at, at the end of that, they all go. Like yeah. they like when it's a, when it's a draft and it's a real war, like World War Two, it's like, you yeah, you didn't wash oh, out. That was no
0: choice. You just went.
1: You're yeah, just like you're was... cannon fodder if you didn't learn.
0: Yeah. Right? That's
1: right. That's don't, right. And and actually I'll I'll tell you something. The scared ones lived longer than well, the brave ones. Yeah,
0: because they're more they're they're a little more
1: caution. <laughs>
0: So the sergeant right. says, don't put your head up
1: now. The, the Germans are, are shooting their machine guns over your right. head. And you go, oh, let me have a look.
0: Let me check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not you know, that's so not and, and that, that actually
1: applies in racing. And I talk about that in Optimum Drive. Um, I talk about the, the two different distinct personality types. And it sounds like you're part of the 10%, which are natural risk takers. Right. Natural risk takers actually end up winning less championships than people that are risk adverse. People that learn it step by step because they're scared of it end up learning it better than people that aren't naturally scared of it. You can see how someone would be reckless with a gun if they're not scared of guns and would risk hurting themselves. Where someone that's scared of guns learns to use a gun correctly and therefore is much safer with the gun. They could end up both being snipers. but In other words, they're both excellent shots. Mm -hmm. But the one that started out scared is much less likely to be hurt.
0: How does that that's work? Because that, that was a very, that, 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 that one I, ah, that's, a one that's a hard one to swallow. It's, it's, it's true. Uh, it's
1: the same as the foxhole comparison. You're more likely that, and I'm part of the 10%, by the way. I right. had to learn to be intellectual about this. And I learned that by teaching people. I had to reconstruct something that felt very normal and natural to me mm-hmm. and realize I did learn it through my childhood because I had the opportunity to race bicycles and do all these things. I'd learned all these skills, and I was drawn to them because I had this risk-taking personality. But I realized that 90% of my clients didn't think like me, and I had to learn how to teach them as well. And then I realized that that approach, I started looking and I go, whoa, Elaine Prost, Ayrton Senna, like all these championship winners were not natural risk-takers. They're people that learned it. They learned it better. Schumacher, very intellectual. They're actually the ones that end up being the best at it. The risk but, takers but have to learn to calm down and right. because they end up getting killed.
0: Right. But there, but there has them. been – I think that there's – it's a balance because there has been, I think, a lot of the risk taker ones that have gone to – you know, been on much the podium. Less, much less. They, oh, right, and they, less win, they
1: win races and they occasionally win championships. But they have to do it by learning to calm down, yeah. to, to not just throw caution into the wind and take leaps of faith. Taking leaps of faith in anything that has lethal consequences, you'd have to agree is a ridiculous way to approach something. Oh yeah. right. I just hope this works out. So you could imagine back in the Derek Bell, Jackie Stewart era, drivers were willing to take, or you had drivers that are more meticulous and checked the work of the mechanics and checked to make sure the cars were safe. They're the ones that, that lived. Right. longer or made it through that era or or made it through World War II for that matter. Right. Well but so but wouldn't
0: you say wouldn't you a, say the
1: romanticized side of the risk takers, there's a romanticized side to this that the public thinks is really awesome. You know that they're that these are people that are that are so carefree or so cocky or so confident that they're willing to throw themselves in but you realize all those people do in the real world is die prematurely, right. that you have to, you have to if, it, if it has risk, it deserves as much thought as you can give it to rationalize and take away the leap of faith and make it something you chip away at. And right. now you're doing something years later that people look at like, oh, you're a professional racing driver. You must be crazy. I hear that all the time. <laughs> That's so stupid. And, and, and I am so it's, far from crazy. Of course any not. You're, of
2: us it's it's a calculated very, risk.
1: It's, it's not a risk anymore because it's well, so calculated. Right, right. You exactly. I mean? You right. calculate the risks out of the equation.
0: Right. It's you become extremely safe. Yeah, I mean, it's literally it's, more dangerous to walk outside and you know, just go down is. the street.
1: I put more thought in, in, in any professional driver. They're, they're, they're less at risk racing than they are driving on the roads. On the road. Getting hit by someone, by That's a drunk right. driver.
0: That's right. Right? That's so, right. So
1: – you know, going back to your point that you felt safe on the racetrack, it's an environment that's designed for racing, right. you know, and that's well, why racing should only be done there because it's that, a life, or death, life it, or death kind of thing.
0: It wasn't that I felt safe, Paul. It was that I didn't have to worry about uh, – how do I say this? Basically everybody else on the road, you know. It, it wasn't it, – the the safety I've never I've never even on the road just because of and that's that's something you just brought up right now confidence so confidence most of the time comes from a lot of experience like what you're talking about right building up that confidence for for you know many years of doing a lot of crazy stuff in cars like I did I, I mean I had a I had an o four I had a two thousand four o four Mystic Cobra. You know, the, 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 the Cobra that had an independent rear from, like, 1930s when it hadn't even been invented yet. You know, it was a piece of shit. I mean, it was just an independent rear because it literally didn't have a solid rear axle. But it wasn't a very advanced one. And yep, um, I remember. It had
1: really short rear, you know, rear arms. that had a lot of camber and toe changes right. and all that stuff because and they put it in snappy. the same space.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not that car, car was snappy as shit. i like, driven it, actually. Okay. So I had that car for seven years cammed out 550 horsepower all it needed to make 800 was a whipple or a Kenny Bell. i never got to that point anyways and it was a convertible no cage no four point no stiffening it had stock suspension i had it on the stock wheels the 18s or 17s. i think it was 17s so there was a one time we went out and we were i was gonna and i loved I, i've done a lot of filming for um all the street racing stuff that we used to do so i was literally just following a group of friends of mine and there was this new kid that came in with a fucking little, the egg shell. I hate that, 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 Jetta, the golf, the, uh, it was the egg looking one. It looked like, a, I hated that. That was like the worst golf they ever made. And was, he had that, that, that golf specifically, I think it was a 2006 or something, a 2007. And <clears throat> this kid, in, imagine this. So we were going to film a flyby. We were purposely going to do like 150 plus mile per hour flyby. And it was, again, not like in the middle of the day, you know, Okeechobee. You know, on the freeway, super, I mean, it was like, it was only us on the, on the freeway. And um, this this kid, because he didn't know what he was doing, I'm doing hundred and, I'd say 160. Easy, 160. And my friend on the left side, on the edge of the, on the side of the road, he was the one filming on the left, uh, the, basically the, the lane before the fast lane. And this fucking kid, because he was so inexperienced, he was in front of my friend with a camera. This kid thought, because he had seen my lights coming up so fast, he thought I was going to run into them. He thought I was in their lane, which I wasn't. He pulled out in front of me. Now, they're doing 50 miles per hour. I'm doing 160. So there's only one thing you can do in that, in that example, and it's uh, bang to the right a little bit. and Don't even think about touching the brake and hope things go pretty well. And the car got a little squirmy on me a little bit, got a little sideways. And my my friend, the engineer, was there as well. And, you know, I I was able to get the car. Nothing happened. Nobody got hurt or anything like that. I mean, I told the kid to just fuck off and never just 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 never come close to us ever again. Don't don't show your face ever again. You you know, Um, and my friend was like, dude, I don't know how you did what you did, because mechanical engineering wise that fucking car should have not been able to do what you did with it so those type of things i think from experience obviously the more you do that and again not on public road but the more you do that on a racetrack the more you get used to how something is going to react and like you said with the vipers because is something you were talking about the other podcast which i thought was awesome um even the gen 5 viper which is a awesome car i've driven that car my friend the engineer told me he says he actually knows one of the engineers that helped uh uh, sus, uh, uh set up the suspension on that car and they're super snappy they, they have grip 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 grip, and all of a sudden they just lose it and it's over and that's it you're you're in the wall you're in the tree or <laughs> you're you're on the bank um and and that's something that i think um like you said uh, through experience it's something that the more you do it the more you get used to being able to do that not just in that car but in other cars, correct?
1: Yeah, and I, I wouldn't describe the last viper as snappy. I don't think it's snappy at all. The, right. The, the criticism that I had uh, or have always had with that particular vehicle is a lack of feel. So it doesn't feel, communicate correct. really well. So you don't get right. a lot of warning that the rear end is going to break loose or, or what it have you. Right. Yeah, and and so and so, but once it breaks loose, it's actually controllable. And I yeah, right. I did a lot of stuff you know, drifting those cars and playing with those cars. And I, I've i driven them since the RT-10, the very first iteration.
0: Which sounds a fucking truck.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no, like I thought, a 1950s no,
0: truck.
1: no, absolutely not. The engine nope. sounded like it, but the car drove brilliantly. Actually, the, the suspension setup on the original RT-10 was really? much more like we would set up a race car than the later versions, which were a little bit easier to drive than the RT-10. Wow. So the RT-10 was brilliant. Like, it actually, like... Driving it, you're like, yeah, a road car really shouldn't be like this. It's actually set up like a, like like a, a decent race car. race car would be with with less grip because of the tire. Um, but uh, but anyway, so so all of those things are, you know, a- again, what you what you're describing is just just learn stuff. And I, I be probably sitting in the passenger seat, um, you know, through a maneuver like your engineer friend went through. I, I would be patting you on the back plenty for that as well, because <laughs> sitting in the passenger seat, as you know, is a lot worse than actually being the driver sure. where it's just a quick little flick of the wrist and you're like yeah that wasn't so bad you know <laughs> um, so it could have been meanwhile, but yeah. meanwhile they're you know their their hearts in their che- you know out right. of their chest so right uh so that those are all things and it, again i can't stress enough like as, as you said it's like those those are experiences uh it's great to have experiences like that but the, the problem for those experiences on the road is is usually that is not the outcome because right. there's there's variables that are out of control and you could say simple things like an oil slick a little bit of gravel or little yeah. gravel whatever yeah. or, or just pavement consistency or sure uh changing pavement when you get on the shoulder any other, any there's there's a million variables a million. And, and that's what and that's what racetracks are about are, are yeah. eliminating variables so we can operate the vehicle at the limit right. with with without with worrying about of,
0: those variables guess, <laughs> in, being able to like I said, awesome. what, we
1: try, what we try and do is eliminate the risk from the equation right. a, as entirely as possible by, by getting rid of all of those things. And, and a safe a safe environment is is job one uh, in that situation. Then you want a safe car, and then you want a trained driver, and then you want all the other drivers to be trained, right? And you, put, you mix all those things together, and now we can operate at the very fine limits of racing. I know that doesn't sound very romantic or very risky. You're like, oh, I want them out there cheating death every two minutes, but it lets a human being <laughs> – you know, operate at a, very
0: efficient at a, a, well, at a human
1: being's limit. Like, you know, and, and I, and I say that people like, well, you think NASCAR drivers are better or formula one drivers? Like they're all human beings. They're all operating at the human limit. You put enough of us together. We're going to find the limit of what a human being can do. Just like you throw everyone in the pool and Michael Phelps wins. He's the best human that day. Um, you, you put a skier down, down a ski run. Like you watch downhill skiers. Those guys take a lot of risk. You know, they're doing 90 miles an hour on skis down these little narrow runs, um, Holy cow! Like car racing is so much safer than downhill ski racing. I, sure. I can't even begin to describe that. You're like, well, you're going 230 miles an hour, and they're going. Yeah, but I crazy. have a full
0: yeah, but I have a full yeah. blown cage that surrounds they're me. <laughs> they're on a
1: mountain, you know, and and yeah, so so you you look at uh, at well, the Look at Schumacher. Of,
0: look what happened to him. I, he he uh, a lifetime of Formula One, and he fucking looked. I mean, first yeah, that's, you that's
1: know, or brandon he wasn't even skiing that fast when it happened. Right, right? It was just. Well, you don't you have to, it, it, but you, you, but it you, does. It does make the point, like you're saying. You're making a good point there of the controlled environment of the racetrack. Like it just, you know, you go out on the track, and and that, and it, it's 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 made for that. The car is built right. for that. You know, road cars aren't built to run on racetracks. Even good road cars can't drive on a racetrack like a race car. Like everyone's like, right. "What's your favorite car?" I just start listing race cars. Like, what right. about a you know, what about a Ferrari? I'm like, "Oh, I love Ferraris, but they're compared to a race car, it's
2: they're they're compared.
1: they're not very impressive." You know, and there's even going all the way up to McLaren P1s and all those things. I love road cars, by the way. I do, um, but but you go drive even a a Formula Ford, you know, and, and that will impress you because it's 120 horsepower, oh, open wheel, slick tires. Yeah, yeah that, that's a very visceral driving experience. Again, go okay. get in a shifter cart. That thing will will run rings Beat around shit road, any road car. Get, yeah. Let's see you do 20 minutes in a shifter cart. Then we'll talk about how fit you are. Yeah, exactly. Uh, You know what I mean? So, so all of, all of these things are, are, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of urban legend. There's a lot of myth. There's a lot of uh, romanticization, a lot of bullshit. It's not, it's, it's, it it is, and it isn't. It's, it's what you look at from the perspective of a fan versus what you look at from the perspective of a, of a a someone that's in the industry or a driver. You know, um, I was just talking to a, a guy this morning that was, um, he was a NASCAR mechanic, you know, and he did that for years and a friend was asking him, was like, did you enjoy it? He's like, it was miserable. It's like, why? It's like, it's like, it's so much work. It, and everyone's like, oh, it'd be so cool to be a part of a NASCAR team. He's like, we yeah, worked twenty four work. seven. We had no time off. And he's like, and we. He's like, yeah, we flew in private jets everywhere. He goes, but we landed on Wednesday. We left on Sunday. We worked at the shop the other days, almost twenty four hours a day. Then we got on another plane. We went to another race. We didn't even know where we were. We didn't know what racetrack we were at. <laughs> and he's like, it, it was all just a blur, and it just wore you down, you know. Yeah. And and it's like no one wants to hear that. That's what racing is like. But that's right. what's racing like. You know, it's right. like it's like me training. Like I'm when I get off this call, I'm about to jump on a simulator for Pikes Peak because I got Pikes Peak coming up. I that's got that right. race in a couple of weeks.
0: You told me about so that. I'm
1: now. I'm going to be on a simulator for hours and hours and hours. You know, am I having fun? No, I'm I'm trying to save my butt on the mountain. I'm working. Right. It's work. Right. So you know, so all of those things are are what racing is really about. And again. You know, if people, people think that, uh, you know, Usain Bolt is is a fast sprinter because he's really tall and lanky, there's lots of tall and lanky people that don't run like him. He had right. to work at that, right. you know? And, and you know, in, in certain sports, in certain cases, a body type does give you an advantage. Um, you know, in racing, being small gives you an advantage. Playing basketball, right. being really tall gives you an advantage. Right. But, but the fact remains that there are they're short, very successful basketball players, and there right. are very successful, tall race car drivers as well. And those are the people you look at for determination. Right. They're like the ones who say, you shouldn't be doing this. And they're like, oh, yeah, watch me.
0: Watch this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah and, I, and so,
0: I, and so, I so totally again, agree. Nothing, nothing is set
1: in stone. There's, there's no limit to what a human being can do relative to another human being. It really basically just comes down to desire.
0: Right. I, I, End I, of story. I, I think that's pretty awesome. I think that's a... Uh... I think that's uh, very inspiring. That's for sure. Um, not that I you know, am one of those people, again, that would have to get inspired, but because there's a lot of that going on as well today. And well, you do because you're not in Formula One right now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> See? <Do you laughs> well, I, I don't like- even... So Formula One, look. If I can, this is what I'd like to do. I'd like no, to. you go should have been.
1: To, you should have been almost retiring now. Is what exactly, I'm saying. You should have been exactly. in F1 15, 20 years ago. Yep. Yeah, I
0: should. I should yeah. be. I should have been. And know, I whatever. should
1: have been too. That's that's the point. And and I know people that have done it. And right. that's also the point because I realize that's the difference between them and me. Right. You know, like oh, you know whatever. I was like. I always beat them when I raced against them. It doesn't matter. They wanted it more than you and they deserve to be where they're at because of that.
2: Right. Yeah, I think you that, know, that's, that's that's part of sure. the
1: package, it's part of the deal. And and again, they didn't they didn't start out with a bunch of money. They were just so impressive in and out of the car that they attracted people with money eventually and that got them where they needed to go.
2: Right.
1: Yeah, and it's, that's it's about being a human being.
0: Right. You know, and, and I think
1: it's making use of your time and dedicating your life to something.
0: Right. Yeah, and, and I think hearing it from you, I think that, I think it it it's not that it stings. I think it's it's more of a it's it's kind of like a I don't want to call it a wake up call. It, it, it's it's coming from you. <laughs> the fact if anybody else would try telling me this, I don't care if they would have been I'm not a professional waste car driver because I've talked to a lot of them, but a lot of them have a lot of it's a it's a lot of talk and a lot of you're you're saying it with a with a hundred and twenty percent certainty and truthfulness, and that's what I think is very valuable. I think it's a very valuable thing. And
1: I use. think like just getting the message out to people so, so we can just, there's a certain level of excuse making that's okay to get you to sleep at night so that you're not stressing yourself out so much that you have mental health issues. You know what I mean? Like you can be so hard on yourself. Like Paul told me to be determined that you just, you just basically eviscerate the world around you right. with how aggressive you are. And you have to work within the structure of society to do this. Right. So, so, so there's, a, there's a little bit of, you can lie to yourself a little bit, so you can make a little bit of an excuse, but realize that once that goes beyond just your own mental health and the sanity of the people around you, you're yeah, hurting the that, your potential problem. to get there, right? right? As soon as it goes beyond that, you're hurting your potential to do what you want to do. And so you've got to find that balance like everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but but let, me, let me be really clear, people that have this determination— are not liked by a lot of people around them right because it points a finger at them saying you're lazy
0: right oh and so and, that's, and, and that's really funny that's, that you- where,
1: that's where this doesn't necessarily like that and that's just one of the sacrifices you have to make you're going to shed a bunch of friends because right. they're going to be like dude what's your problem all you ever talk about is cars is cars and you want to be a formula one driver right. and and they they have all been willing to make those sacrifices to fulfill that promise or that dream to make it happen. That's just part of the process, man. I don't know. Did you see the, the drumming? I'm sure you've seen it. Whiplash.
0: Whiplash. What? Is, um, you have not seen whiplash. No, who's, who, who are we talking about here? It's um, a movie about drumming. Oh no, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen oh, it. Oh my goodness. I'm going to have to watch All right. it. <laughs> Pause the
1: podcast right now. Watch the movie and then come back. No. Um, <laughs> Okay.
0: Wow. Got, it's that good. I got to watch watch that movie. It's I haven't. Insane. You know what it is, Paul? I don't watch. Look, and I know it's going to sound stupid. I don't. I, I <laughs> barely have watched any new movie that has come out because of this whole, I This you know, but but I guess I'll watch that. But I guess I'll watch <laughs> that. Paul has just told me I got to watch Whiplash. So I got to watch. If I'm a drummer, my, like, I can't I can be a drummer, but I don't a musician.
1: musician. My son's oh, a musician. He, is? He's a, he plays guitar. Okay, um, awesome. And and he's he's very good. I mean, he he plays gigs and all that right. stuff and he's 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 just starting out, so he's not, you know, he's he's not an established pro or anything like that, but he's very good. And we watched that movie and between his guitar, his, his the lessons that he went through learning guitar and and he 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 had a really good teacher for over 10 years. Okay. Um, and me a, from the yeah. driving perspective. We're watching Whiplash by the way, everyone that's listening to this go watch that movie if you hadn't seen it because it shows you it shows you the insane level of ridiculous determination where it goes to being like again you think in boot camp they're like they're abusing those people no, they're, they're abusing them to get them conditioned in right. six weeks right. to save their lives right. but that's the level of determination that we've been talking about here that's what this is about. And it's like, if, if you're not willing to do that, then that's what you have to understand and realize you didn't, you didn't not become a professional musician because you, you didn't know the right people. Or it, it again, it comes down to determination and determination again is, is how much you're willing to sacrifice right. to see this happen. Are you willing to sacrifice everything, literally everything to you make do it what happen? You want to love. Yeah. No, yeah. I- and that's what it is. And, and it's just, it's just, that's, that's what it is. and, and again, you just you want to think like the guy is skiing in the Olympics because he just naturally was born a great skier, you know, right. or he's driving in Formula One because he has rich parents and he was naturally born a great driver. And you realize none of that is true.
0: But it, it helps a little bit. Wouldn't you say it helps a little bit to at least it, have it that, that, that? It doesn't right. help
1: you. Become air right. It doesn't help
0: you. Exactly. It doesn't help you. That last excel. second
1: that I'm talking about is only going to come right. from people that are ridiculously that determined. Want it bad so your money will get you there. Your right. money can make you play in a, in a pool of people that are good. Right. But it will never make you great. No, oh, no, no. You cannot buy sure. great. You're yeah. going to have to earn it. That's and for wh- sure. Again, Whiplash is a great example of someone having to earn greatness so the to the point of
0: psychological this. destruction. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean a lot of people have gone down that road and look at look what happened yeah. with Nikolai Telsa. I mean, you know, with Tesla, he, he um excuse me, Telsa. I'm saying it wrong here. Um, you know his story with the uh, with the uh with the giant um you know he made a tower that would distribute electricity like we oh, okay. have Wi Fi today. Like, Tesla. Tesla like Nikolai Tesla. Yeah, Nikolai the, uh, Inventor. Correct. Yeah. Correct, mm-hmm. the inventor. So he 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 had that uh, he had that issue, and he had a uh, uh, J.P. Morgan Chase and uh, guys from Wells Fargo, the founder of Wells Fargo. He they destroyed him. They said, "No, we're gonna we're gonna charge for this." He says, "No, I want to give this. This is my gift to the world. I want to be able to have the world be free of of needing electricity." And you know i mean i'm i'm sure you've heard that
1: or know about that story yeah, yeah there's there are all the stories about bell you know and edison and all that stuff so right. but it is that you know there is a fine line because what we're talking about remember i brought up like this can cause mental health issues right so yeah. there's there is that fine line that they talk about between between genius and insanity right um, and all those, all those things are really really true you like you, you look at you know painters and artists of all types and by the way driving a car just like drumming is an art form Taken to that level, that last second, it transitions from being just a task into art. And you can say the same thing about someone woodworking with chisels, you know, a a sculptor, and any of those things. What we're talking about is art here. An Olympic athlete, Michael Phelps, the way he swims, it's art.
0: Oh yeah, it's the efficiency
1: is his swimming, right? right. So the the downhill skier, the efficiency of his ability to carve a turn, is art. You know, you're taking it to that that level where it becomes sublime and it becomes such diminishing return that they're willing to go down because they're, they're one of the five or six people on the planet that can even feel the diminishing return. Right. You know, they can feel the difference
0: between not doing it artists. correctly or doing it That's correctly. That's right.
1: One of the five artists, artists with a paintbrush that have a stroke that can actually feel the difference in that stroke and how it lays the paint out slightly different, differently on the canvas that creates huh. art. You know, like, that's the stuff and again general public not necessarily that interested in that level of, of determination no and and again that's where the excuse making starts you're know, like yeah i you know i'm pretty fast at the indoor go-kart track to use my old example uh, right. but i couldn't make it in formula one because you know i don't have rich parents
0: <laughs> well
1: correct i, I mean that, that basically true. that basically describes it like i, yeah. I coulda shoulda woulda yeah um, but, but and this, like I yeah. said, anything you're going to say from now on is just excuses, right? Because, because it, it can be. And it's not like, uh, oh, I'm scared or I had a bad car crash. Like, that's just, it's just going to take you time to get over that. But you could yeah. get over it. You know, we, yeah, we all it's have mental, the case to everything. It's,
2: it's yeah. a mental and capacity. And again,
1: the, the one real advantage is if, you have, if, if you're really intelligent. Like I said, I'm not. I'm, I'm just mo- I think I'm just moderately intelligent, like average. So it takes me longer. I've seen people learn things a lot faster than me. And I'm, I look at them going, wow. And, and I'm going to have to spend days more doing this task to get as good as you. Right. But the cool thing about that, and you may have heard me mention this before and it's in my book, is, is that, and that's why these people end up winning championships, is the determination to outdo the people that learn quickly, right. that having that little bit of extra determination takes you further. And usually right. you will eventually beat that person. Right. When it comes easy to you, when it seems to come easy, you don't try very hard. It's just a natural balance of a human being. When it's hard for you, you naturally try harder. Yeah, you want to try and the, the people,
0: best to, to you know, finally and
1: get. That, and you ingrain determination into part of your process of becoming good at things when other people just do it on like it's just easy for me and then I move on to the next thing. Right. right? You see what it is? So the, oh, the yeah. people that learn determination somewhere along the way, they ultimately are better. Over yeah, time. because they,
0: they, like you said, they're, they're working so hard. They earn to, it. Right, right. They're working so hard to get to that point that they when they grasp yeah. it, it's it's very, you know, unlike someone who just kind of has it already and doesn't exactly. have to work. Yeah, it's, that's, that's I mean, that yeah, we see that everywhere. everywhere. There's
1: a lot of determined
0: people. There's a lot of, uh, of people where things
1: come easy to them because they're very intelligent. There right. are very few determined, hyper-intelligent people. They tend to be the exceptional people.
2: Right. Yeah, so Michael so you either, and...
1: if you have if you have one side, you have to learn the other. If you, you, yeah. you see. So to be, and that's what greatness is. Greatness is high levels both. of both. both. Being good is just having a high level of one. Right. So I'm very both. determined. So, so you can you see how that balancing. is, But those yeah. are exceptional human beings. Those exceptional human beings almost look supernatural to regular people. Right. Because they don't understand that little equation we just talked about.
0: Let me ask you a question, um, Paul, and how much time we have. I don't want to keep you for that much longer if you've got to be doing simulation racing here. It's we're... almost tea time. I am English, and we usually oh. have
1: tea at four o'clock. So...
0: <laughs> okay, so we have... Uh... <laughs> no, I'm and just
1: you... kidding. I, it's four oh, minutes you... to four in Colorado.
0: Right. You've been. Um, you were So you were born in England, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. And then you, you came here pretty early. Yes,
1: uh, in 1973, so I was eight years old. When oh, we came wow. to the U.S.
0: Okay, cool. Um, let me see one second. Just make sure that the where's is, Where's is, where, is, where are we? Because I just I made the screen a little bit bigger. Just want to make sure it should still be. Uh, hold on. Where are we? Yeah, it should be. I think. I think it's still recording. It looks like it should be still recording. Um. So what I was going to ask you was this: uh, How much time? You fifteen minutes? Twenty minutes? Just so I sure. Yeah. Okay, cool. Awesome. So, um, so what do you think about guys that go out there and are using the, the opposite of what we just talked about, the polar opposite? They're basically using the money to just get out there, do a couple laps. And then what they usually do a lot of, I've seen a lot of this in here in Miami and I personally had a, what I could call not, not anymore, but I did call him a friend at one point. Um, a gentleman who basically goes out there with his LMP2 Corvette uh, it's a 2005, 2006 uh, LS2. LM, it's basically an LMP2 uh, prototype race car, um, and he goes out there and he does a couple laps in the car, and then obviously he brings in a professional race car driver to do the real timing and the real fast laps in the car, and then just to yep. get up on the podium. What would you say to people that do that? How would you? Regard Good for them. Good for them. Good for them. I,
1: I, I've, got no, I've got no problem with, with people. First of all, like from a very practical perspective, they're the guys that are pretty much paying for motorsports for the rest of us. Okay. So I like being the pro guy uh, with him. Right. Because I get right. to drive that car. I couldn't afford to drive in certain situations. So
2: right.
1: and for him, from his perspective, he, it's fantasy fulfillment. And, and he has a chance to kind of fulfill a fantasy because he worked hard enough in some industry to earn enough money to be able to afford that car and go out and race it. Right. i pat him on the back and I applaud him. And I, I, I wish I had the business skills to be like him.
0: Well, he's a, he's a trust fund baby, so I think he's the... That's, even, that's fine, too. <laughs> I, as long, I, if, if it turns out
1: that this person is a terrible person, then he's a terrible person, right. and that's a completely separate topic. Right. But someone spending money to go racing because they can it's afford to do thing. it, thank you. Yeah, go do it. Um, you know, a, Again, there's a negative to that, that if, he's, if he decides to go into race in real professional motorsports, um, he, is, he is now buying a seat that maybe I could get for free or I could get paid to do. But that's the plus and the minus of it. And, and those guys pump a lot of money into racing. And um, it's just part of the deal. It's
0: so kind of like a necessary... Who, who, am, I to,
1: who am I to judge them? Right. Uh, I would definitely take it on a one-on-one level. I've met plenty of those guys that I think are not necessarily good people. And I've met plenty of them that I think are amazing people. And I love hanging out with them. And, uh, and and the money is not the factor. It's just whether they're good people or not. Right. Right. Uh, so they're 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 good people that are that are rich and they're bad people that are rich. They're good right. people that are poor and they're bad people that are poor. Right.
0: Um,
1: so, uh, you know, that's that's the criteria, not the money.
0: Right. Yeah. There's all types of I mean, we're, you know, seven billion of us here. I mean, it, there's there's all it's it, a huge yeah. spectrum.
1: <laughs> across across the board that's across it and, board. and everyone deserves a fair shake and um and whether they're financially well off or not right you know good for, good for them wish yeah, i was
0: I, so i met i met one of them okay i'll tell you a funny story i met one which was really funny i um i'm at i'm at the paddock i was there with a good friend of mine that had a small racing team and i'm just walking around and i see this 993 it was a 993 um so it was a. 96, 97, 993, it wasn't the cup car, it was the Evo, um, hold on, i got to catch myself on this one, Evo, super rare, oh no, excuse me, I'm sorry, it was a 993 RSR uh, cup race car, which was, yep, those are pretty fucking fucking rare, they're
1: super rare and they're worth about, they're worth crazy money right now,
0: yeah, they're they're up there in the, I think they're one plus now i think yes, because they this are was, yeah they're up there and yeah. that car to me was like i mean it was like looking at i mean i'm not gonna obviously even come close to any of the can-am cars but it really was a super rare race car i mean I was just like holy shit i can't believe it in the same paddock he had a brand new 599 gto when they had just come out a mazda 3 no mazda 6 uh world champion car And what else did he have? He had a, oh, and a Porsche Turbo. That was like his daily that he came in with. (laughs) And, and this guy, my, my friend was out there racing E36s, a 325 or a 328 with barely 300 horsepower, 260 horsepower. And he was running circles around this guy. So when the guy pulled in with the 993, I just, I had to ask him, I had to go up to him and ask him, Hey man, something going on with the cars? No, man, what are you talking about? I thought I did a fantastic lap. And I'm like, like my friend with his three twenty five was, like, three spaces in front of you. That car has barely three hundred horsepower, and he kind of was like, "Well, I guess he's faster than me." And I just was like, "Oh my god!" So I turned as around. As long as he was,
1: as long as he was cool about it, like again.
0: Oh no, he wasn't a dick, but yeah. I was in shock that this person, right, who had obviously the money to buy the car, was not. Being too competitive, obviously not even coming close to the limit yeah, or anything like that. Just
1: out, having a, out having a good time, man. Right. Again, nothing right. wrong with that.
0: Right. So I, I talked to my friend and I asked, I just wanted to know, I, I was really interested in knowing who the guy is. He says, Oh, that guy, yeah, he's, uh, he's a billionaire. I said, oh, Okay, what does he do? He's, Well, you know, those, you know, the ketchup uh, bags that we all have learned to use at McDonald's and Burger King and every fast food. Little packets. The little packets so he supposedly came up with a patent to he he invented the the stamping machine
1: beautiful That's, yeah god i so, love stories like that
0: <laughs> isn't that like, crazy
1: have, I, I could have come up with that
0: why i, I know I? <laughs> like why couldn't we come up with you know and i was like <laughs> shit man so it was it was a crazy me. thing to, to to see some you know and i and you see a lot of that here in miami you do see a lot yeah, of there's a t-
1: there's a ton of those guys like i said if if they're if they get out of the car and they're like I'm the I'm the world's fastest driver and who do you think yeah. you are talking they they've got attitude that's just a bad person it, it has nothing to do with it's a bad rich person right or a bad poor person or a bad average person right you know what I mean so it's like that's the criteria that I I want to judge anyone on again not that I should be judging them just whether I want to like them or hang out with them or not right. is is you know if he's having a good time I would. A guy like that, I would try and befriend, and I would say, you know, I can, I can coach you. And I've, done, I've had these conversations with the guy. And the guy's like, I'm good. I'm like, awesome. And, and <laughs> if, the guy's not, if the guy's not a menace on the track, in other words, he's not yeah, he's getting not, people to and he's right. not blocking people, right. and he doesn't have an attitude when right. anyone fast comes up behind him. If he's just out having a good time, just fantastic. Yeah. You know, and, and for him, it's just an experience. More... Gentleman drivers are there just to be a part of the experience and be in the paddock and smell the race fuel and wear, some ra- wear a race suit and have a helmet right. and just go through the motions. And, and they're not that interested in being a world-class driver themselves. Right. And, and, and to me, I do try and turn them. I'm like, you know, I could make you great. Yeah. And, I and, make and, you try and I try and set that hook in them. And I found guys that are like, really? Because I've had coaches. They've never made any progress with me. I'm like, try. You know, I have a yeah, different yeah. And let's let's go do it. But I have other guys. I have plenty of guys that, that say I'm good. And I'm like, OK, you know, again, if they're being a menace, I'll, I'll be a bit yeah. more forceful and say I'd least like to get you to you know, uh, uh, you know, or, or even the even the track day people or the sanctioning body would be like, you know, you sh- maybe you shouldn't even be out there the way you're driving right. um, because because you are being a bit of a danger to other people. Right. But if they're not being a danger and they're just out enjoying themselves, then, then it's, that's on them, you know. And, and remember, the, the sport means different things to different people. And
2: right.
1: one of the things that I, I've used to describe this before is I say that there's, there's, um, there's car enthusiasts and then there's driving enthusiasts. Yeah.
0: yeah and that was, can, that was something I was going to bring up as well, yeah.
1: Yeah, you can be both. And I'm, I'm certainly both. I love cars. But I, I, I have a lot of very good racing friends that hate cars. They're, like, not into cars at all. They're just racing drivers. That's their job. Really? It's like it's job. Yeah. And it, to wow. me, I'm like, wow. But, but that, that but they, seems they're, alien
0: they're, to me. I can't even think yeah, of how that works. I, I,
1: could, I, could, I, I could name them, but I wouldn't. But yeah, I, I know several of them. Um, and then there's, there's a great percentage of the population that are just car enthusiasts. And they are people that like double clutch gearboxes because they're like, oh, it's just faster. So I don't have to learn to shift faster. I don't have right. to learn how to heel and toe downshift. Or I don't have to learn how to double the clutch downshift, you know? So this is technology that makes driving easier for me, you yeah, know? Or I even like autopilot on a Tesla, you know, kind, kind of thing, right? So, so, but they can love cars. Like you look at like Tesla fanboys or the Tesla community, it's full of very passionate car enthusiasts for, sure. for that brand. But you and I have, and I'm assuming this about you, but I'm saying we don't align very much with their no. values of what makes. <laughs> <laughs> but they're still but you see what i'm saying they're still but yeah, passionate yeah it's a different level right it's a different level right and to them yeah. to them the ultimate luxury is to have their, their car drive them down the road and right. and and somewhere somewhere in the middle are people that are car enthusiasts that like i said like owning a Porsche GT3 and like having it with a dual clutch gearbox, because that makes the, it makes it easier for them, because they never ha- had to learn how to heel and toe downshift, right, right. or shift a, or drive a manual car correctly. You know, so, so there's all these different levels to it. But then when you get come at it from the driving enthusiast level, they're like, well, I, I don't want a car to shift for me. I I right. want to have to earn that. I want to shift it right. smoothly and well myself. You know. So And so those, those are more driving enthusiasts. You realize that they're all part of the automotive spectrum. They'll all probably listen to this podcast and my other podcast you know, yeah. that I do or whatever I write or, and read my book and whatever it, it is. Um, and they're all automotive enthusiasts. And that's great because they all pump money into this hobby. And without them, a hobby wouldn't be what it is. Or I wouldn't be able to make It's not a hobby for me. It's, it's a living. Yeah, it's a living. You know, sure. I wouldn't be able to have this living that, doing what most people would call a hobby. Right. Um,
0: so, well, I think so, I think that 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 was always a. a you know, that that's always. Just, to to me, that whole hobby, that you know, that's always such a. I remember in high school there was this girl. You know, I was always talking cars, and and this girl comes up to me. She goes, "Oh, you get over. That's just a face. And I said, "What?" I just looked at her with this uncle, crazy uncle face, like does it to me. <laughs> like, How dare you even say that? And then I looked at her, and this girl was crazy about Britney Spears, right? So I just I just I, just, I shot it right back at her. I said, let me ask you something. If Britney Spears walked in right now and I told you, oh, get over it. That's Britney Spears. Who gives a shit? Which, and then she's like, what do you, and then she got it. She understood like, oh, okay. So some people don't understand that, hey, this isn't just a hobby. This is a passion. It's, 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 yeah. we've been driven from day one in our lives. I mean, for me, it, it definitely comes from the family tree because my grandfather used to race motorcycles. My grandma, who was, let me tell you, man, you want, uh, just because we kind of covered World War Two, my grandma was from Hungary. Um, you know, you her, my great-grandmother was in a concentration camp, and she fought for, for her life to, to get my there grandmother out. So yep. it's, it's no joke. And, and she was a huge, no joke. huge, yeah, that was crazy stuff that's a whole other conversation, but you could think, you
1: think you've got people that are, that are like stamp collectors that are incredibly passionate about that or bird watchers. (laughs) You you, you see what I'm saying? It's like, it it runs the gamut. And to me, I'm perfectly happy to my point of being like so tolerant. People would say, wow, you're really tolerant of people at the racetrack. I I just try and be tolerant of people. Generally, I'm, I'm just, I'm happy when any human being has some passion in their life about something. I'm like, because because I'm I'm really big and I you know I even I even delve into the realm of motivational speaking as you could probably tell with some of the stuff that I've talked oh, yeah. about here but sure. but really tell. our our lives are a search to just be meaningful
0: right that's right
1: and so one one of the big problems that people have is they 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 lack a purpose that's and right. our society isn't doing a very good job educating no. people and giving them purpose because that's where it comes from and parenting as well like everyone wants to complain about mil- millennials today oh, yeah. but Who's responsible for it? Right, the their, their parents, the baby boomers. Right, baby boomers. They're, they're responsible. You don't like millennials. You bred them and you yeah. raise them like that. Right. It's your fault, you know? Right. And, and by the way, I'm part of that generation. I have two kids and I tried to raise them to have some real values and to have some meaning, to have some purpose and to realize that they need to contribute to society in some way. They need to be meaningful as a human being for their lives to matter. And so in that, it doesn't matter what it is, it, right? It doesn't matter if it's stamp collecting. Be a meaningful stamp collector, right. you know? Be a meaningful anything, find some purpose. It's not just passion, it's purpose, right? right? And, 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 then, and then become great at it. And the same process that I use in all this training that I've learned this process to find that last second to take people into the, into the realms of diminishing return to, to find the greatness within all of us, that can be applied to anything.
0: Right. Yeah, not just anything. Not just anything. As it anything. anything. Yeah. It's
1: a process for being meaningful. Right. I have chosen to try and be meaningful in the genre, in the area of motorsports, in the automotive spectrum. Right. That's where that's what I'm excited about. But I'm, you see me on a pair of skis. You see me on a mountain bike. You see me riding a motorcycle. Kicking ass. All, I do all the (laughs) same way i don't do them the same level i don't do them the same level simple reason that i've dedicated my life to the cars
2: right
1: right so so that's the one that i've spent the time in the pool to use the michael phelps analogy my time in the pool has been spent in automotive in vehicles in driving so that's the thing that i'm better at but i apply the process to everything
0: well i paul let me tell you uh you're a Fantastic, amazing human being, man! Uh, it, it, it this has been like amazing. I don't want to hold you up. It's it's been I think more than twenty minutes, and I really don't want to hold you up. I I could keep on listening to you for for a long time, talk to you for a couple more hours, but I know you got to get going on that Pike's Peak uh, simulation. But um, so I have one question, and that is, how do we? First of all, how? Well, I don't want to ask this directly like that, but I'm a pretty direct person. I don't want to bullshit. So, how can we? um, Well, first thing I'm going to do is, like I promised you, I'm going to go ahead and make that phone call today to the owner of the 917. I sent you the email, by the way. So, you have the PDF with all the racing history. I kind of wanted to cover it, man. But since we got into all different types of everything, I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to stop you at all. I I think what you, what you, this podcast is going to be amazing, is amazing already at this point. Thank you. Um, So, what we'll do is, so how can I? Well, how do you when, – when you, when you go instruct someone or when you start from ground zero, like you said, um, what, what would be the process of, of, let's say, if I was interested right now in wanting to do something with you as far as driving? So
1: to get, a hold, to get a hold of me, my book's name is Optimum Drive. So just remember The Optimum Drive. The so Optimum Drive. Correct. The Optimum Drive. So if you go to theoptimumdrive.com, that okay. is my website. Okay. On theoptimumdrive.com, there's an email uh, that you can click on, but okay. I'll give you the email. It is theoptimumdrive at gmail.com. Okay, perfect. If you want to go to Facebook or to um, Instagram, The Optimum Drive Same will thing. get you to my pages. So, okay. so, The Optimum Drive is, is the key to everything. And then also, if you want to take a look at the book, um, it's just Optimum Drive. And just Google it; it'll right. it'll pop up. It'll pop up. Um, most people just get it from Amazon. It is uh, it is available digital. It's available as an ebook, and of course right. the um, soft cover, the actual physical physical book, which is truly right. the one I recommend because it's the latest version of it. Uh, right. It's been through three three or four different printings right now. Um, okay. So I keep I keep kind of doing edits and refining it as I go.
0: Okay. And so if, if, if anybody, like, again, for example, like me personally, if I wanted to try to get tutored by you and start from ground zero, what would be the, is there, uh, it would just be through those means to just contact you and say, hey.
1: I, I would follow- tell you to read my book. Okay. Seriously, because my book <laughs> explains my methodology. It's, I know it sounds like I'm plugging it, but it, it, you, that's my honest answer to that question. Is I tell people I used to say, "Well, let's just have this really, really long conversation, sort of like this podcast." Right. (laughs) But really, if if you just read the book, you'll 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 know me and how I think and this process that I've talked about, and then you'll you'll know whether you want to be coached by me. Okay. Does that make sense? That
0: that makes perfect sense.
1: I I I found that the book is this amazing business card for me.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Like that's how (laughs) I use. I'm like
1: because because I could try and describe myself in, in trying to be humble and describe yourself. It's very difficult and awkward to difficult. do. Read my book. <laughs> Seriously. Okay. And it's like, if you like it, if you like it, email me and we'll, okay. we'll take it from there. And by the way, I've had that happen to me from people around the world. And it's awesome. I love it. It's super humbling to have someone from New Zealand that I've never met before going, hey, coach me. I just read your yeah. book and it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, just, I love that stuff. That's a good feeling. That's got to be an amazing feeling. Like, I got It's amazing. I never thought I never thought it's the first book I ever wrote, so I, I hadn't been able to consider sort of the the positive side of what would happen on the backside of releasing the book. Right. And uh, it's been really it's been a really cool journey. And I'm again super humble and super appreciative uh, of people that are just will, willing to kind of listen to me rattle on right.
0: um,
1: about. Uh, you don't I rattle. Think, there, there's no rattle. Really <laughs> what I think is really important.
0: I listen. I, listened, I, I it, listen. There is absolutely no rattling. Everything that that's come out of your <laughs> mouth today, man, has been, again, the reason I wanted to do this podcast is is to spread the information. Spread it, not just information. It's not just it's just not just talking. It's it's very valuable, you know, things that could be used for younger people, for people that are yeah. in their thirties or forties, whatever, that could be used as a value for their foundation system to try to listen to something like this and go. Hey, you can do this if you want to, but you have to be extremely determined. That's number one. So I think that's one of the main points yeah. of this entire podcast: is determination is number one if you want to do anything to be the greatest. And I think that goes. for it.
1: That's it. Yeah, and just just uh, keep keep it real, man. If you keep it real and don't right. don't, don't don't bullshit yourself, the lies. Yeah, the lies we tell ourselves on a daily basis, and and sure. that's that's the thing. And sometimes we're so far down that path, it, it takes us a long time to even realize that we are um you know telling ourselves a story so uh it takes it takes kind of that smack in the back of the head i always joke that my wife has to whack me in the back of the head at least three four times a day because i just (laughs) say or think stupid things right right and she can she can read my thoughts i'm convinced of it so um you know we all we all need to be centered and put our ship back on course pretty regularly and and what you find is most people never really have course corrections and so they they end up a long way from their own reality, wondering right. what the heck happened and why, you know, they never reached any of the dreams or goals that they wanted to reach when they were younger. Right. And you realize that it's everything, every single thing is in your head. And it is rewirable, reprogrammable. They talk about neuroplasticity and how you can rewire your brain. You can think differently. Oh, yeah. Again, it all goes back to that word determination. And then just being rational and logical, doing your research make those little incremental changes that journey of a a, you know a thousand miles just starts with one single step right and uh you just want to make sure you're heading in the right direction you know and that's where that reality kind of you know you keep yourself on course and you just methodically work your way there and if you're super smart good for you it's not going to take long but if you're not like me don't worry you can still do it it's just going to take you longer and you're going to end up more determined than the spark guy and you're going to beat him in the end and that's going to make you feel good.
0: I think that by itself is super motivational. The fact that someone that might not have the gift, but can still manage to somehow, some way, yeah. try to you know, get to that point. And,
1: creation um, is a sheer force of will. I, I can't remember who the, cro- the quote is, is credited to, right. but it's creation is a sheer force of will. If you want to create greatness in yourself, you're just going to have to be, you know, you're going to have to dedicate your life to it. And it's that's possible.
0: Right. Yeah, that's right. All right, Paul, well, let's do this. So I'll, um, so we'll end it here. Awesome podcast. And, um, and what we'll do is, uh, I'm going to contact, I'm going to try to contact the owner. Let me see if I can get something done. You said that you're going to be pretty much okay until the 13th, right? 13th, 14th is when you head out to Pikes Peak.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And I'm, I'm, I'm here or there
1: available, you know, in, in June and so on and so forth. And I, I have a somewhat flexible schedule Because I kind of make my own schedule, so okay. as Fantastic. long as I have some uh, lead time, I can usually make all sorts of things happen
0: okay that sounds awesome i, I you have no idea how much I appreciate that I, again I still I have so many things I wanted to talk about, but everything we talked about was amazing I just um, if you want it's up to you if you, if you want to do another one whenever you're you know free again and obviously not a really super long one but just certain things that I wanted to talk to you about you know stuff that has to do with the automotive industry and where manufacturers are going right now and the hypercars supercars sure. we didn't you know we didn't get into all that just because you know this was like the foundation of the start but um I, you have no idea man how much i i mean i grew up watching you were on uh, top gear 4 just cuz i wanted to get the exact years you were on top gear from 2007 2000
1: what was it 2008 to
0: 2016
1: 2008
0: to 2016 okay, to to 2016. 2016. okay. so you yeah, can imagine man yeah. i and before you
1: was and, the, I, and I still I still do stuff with them as well, so I just oh, don't do? do that particular role. But yeah, I still oh. drive for them, and I drive for the Grand Tour. Awesome. Um, so yeah, I I'm still, you know, pretty. Well, I
0: I, I hate to this hate to say this, but I, I haven't watched. I have not watched, uh, and this is going to sound really bad. Me coming from you know die horde car guy, but I have not the guy watched who has watched
1: so Formula One in nine nine years. Hey, so this all makes sense.
0: Yeah, you see, yeah, there you go. So <laughs> I have not watched uh, the Grand Tour, and. To tell you the truth, I don't. I can't give you a good reason why. It's just I, I. was going to for the first one, and I just it just. I don't have Netflix. I don't do the Netflix thing, so that was a big portion of it. I don't even have Netflix, so I think that played a, a portion in it. It's I just it's on Amazon, so you're all set. It's on Amazon. Okay, there we go. Because <laughs> I'm I'm so I I, I I used to love the old ones so much that I would actually sometimes replay the the older versions, just the older episodes like where, where you were the stake and all. They're awesome. Yeah. Yeah, those were amazing. Like the big race ones; those were one of my favorite. I mean, watching the show was great, but the big uh, challenges; those were some of my favorite, um, my my favorite uh, episodes that were ever done. So, but um, correct. Cool. Cool. All, right. All right, man. So we'll uh, we'll keep in touch. I'll send you. Well, you got the PDF, and I'll. um Oh, you know what I'll do? I'll send you a video just so you could check out the car. It's just a proof of life video they had sent me. Cool. And uh, the second I know from him what we could do with it, I'll let you know
1: whatever it just be cool it's just a cool thing and then just let me know uh when the podcast airs and where so i can share it too for sure
0: yeah i'll, I'll i'm gonna link it up uh, right now and i'll send you the link it's just it'll be a simple link that you could just share with anybody that uh, that you want and cool. um and then what i really want to do is somehow uh, i'm gonna talk to my friend adrian the engineer you gotta have a conversation with him because you're gonna feel i think having a conversation with me was a little bit of uh it, again, uh, a foundation, but with him, man, he could really get into a lot of the mechanical engineering portions. Of well, a lot of let's stuff do that.
1: Great. Let's do that next time then um, okay. with the three of us.
0: Okay. That'll be awesome. That would be great. Yeah. Because yeah, he he would love to talk to you. And again, it's going to be a super honor. So, And it has been an honor, man. I have no idea. I, I know I can't. Ah, I, can't I, I know that you're it. like, ah, oh, stop it. But listen, man, you have no idea. You know what it is. Imagine, think of someone you used to watch. I mean, imagine if you had the chance to meet. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that you're not, but you're kind of like, it's I'm not like, to, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to say like, you're, it's kind of like, it's kind of like meeting, it's almost like meeting Aaron Senna. It's not because it, you're well, not, but it's kind I'm of not. like that. I'm telling you for me, this is like fucking major. Like when, when, and, and when people are going to listen to this, I, I told a friend of mine when I told Adrian, he's like, what? You talked to, po-? and I'm like, yeah, he, he said he's going to do a podcast. He's like, no. No, that's impossible. What are you talking about? He didn't want to leave me. So I said, listen, I'm going to do it. I'll send you the link. Listen to it. Then you can fucking shit your pants.
1: So, I'm just a normal guy. Man.
0: Yeah, well, normal guy that, that did some pretty amazing things with his life, man. So we'll, we'll end it on that. All right, Paul. I really appreciate it again. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Okay, man. Have a good time. All right. Take care. Bye, you man. too. Bye.